Did you miss your daddy? No. Yes, you did. I can tell that you did. Definitely not. You definitely missed your daddy. You've been all over him. This is... Every time he walks in the door. So you've been missing your daddy. It's okay to say, yes, I miss my daddy. It's okay to say, I love you, daddy. It's okay for you to say, you are the apple of my eye. It's okay if you missed your dad. Why don't you want to admit that? It's all right. I missed missed you too. Your actions belie you. you Why do you feel like... Why do you feel like it's you? You're not. Is it not cool to love your dad? You have a pretty cool dad. I have a really cool dad. He likes to do the things you like to do: drink root beer, sneak drinking root beer, yeah, hide the evidence of having drank root beer. <laughs> Sometimes he likes to get sneaky and start a podcast with this, and it's already started. Brand new <laughs> podcast. Everyone knows you love me now, Isla. You can't. Uh, you can't back out of this. It's already out there. Um. Hey, I've been busting my ass on this road. Thank you, everyone in Columbus, Cincinnati, um, Chicago, Fort Wayne, Chicago, uh, Bloomington, Lexington, Louisville, Lexington. I, I mean, I, it's been an insane road, and I it's just getting crazier. I have two shows at the store tonight. One show in Oxnard tomorrow night, and then Fresno, Reno, Vegas, Vegas, Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City. City. And then we go to Columbus. Isla, you coming out to, or Cleveland. We go to Cleveland. We have added shows on the 24th. So if you would like to see the taping of my Netflix special, we have shows on the 23rd that, I mean, if you'd rather go to the 23rd, you can wait until the last minute and see if we open up seats. We may open up seats on the 23rd, but there are definitely tickets on the 24th if you'd like to see the tapings of those two Netflix, my Netflix special. I'm shooting four shows and then I'm home, Isla. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. I don't know. And then I'm home, Island. We can spend a lot of quality time snuggling. Stop. Sneaking root beer. Eating pickles. Eating pickles. You know, things daddies and daughters do. Just eating pickles. Just eating pickles. In the back fridge. Yep. Um, There's a lot of things that go on at that back fridge that I don't really condone. That back, the back fridge, fridge so might the, be our party fridge. Wait, so are the pickles <laughs> expired? I think the Isla. No, the pickles aren't. Pickles only you can't expire. No, pickles. they don't expire. Oh. But Dad and Isla go to the back fridge, and all of a sudden, I'll go to the back fridge because that's where I keep Blue Apron, and there'll be like an empty soda can inside the fridge. <laughs> Someone has drank soda without permission. Not that you, you go need back permission. to the garage and you have to murder your drink in the garage. You and can't bring it into it. the house. <laughs> and like, I don't say you can't have soda. You just can only have one. And and so it makes me suspicious yeah, but that's really of what other criminal activities the two of you may be up to because it's definitely both of you. Same with Gatorade. Same with Gatorade. Those blue Gatorades get The blue Gatorades? Oh, I empty. I love a good blue Gatorade. Okay, so yesterday. But just to be fair, they are the sip size Gatorades. Yeah. However, <laughs> yesterday I was cleaning out around the garage <gasps> and I found an empty ginger ale can behind the fridge. Are you so throwing them? Are you drinking them and then and grenading behind, them behind the fridge? So that I don't know. But I don't know if you don't, if you know this, Isla. But I notice when the like inventory starts decreasing, <laughs> there's only one person in the house that drinks Sprite well, or ginger ale. 
So, I, I don't, I, I do a very good job with hiding them. No, you do not. <laughs> I find them constantly. I find them everywhere. Izzy walked in the house with an empty can today. Izzy, Izzy walked in with a can of ginger ale today. Empty, empty. can. Chewing on it like a like a ham bone. And I was like, Isla's been in the Canada dry again. Thank you to the Cookie Cottage in Fort Wayne, Indiana for the cookies. Did you like those cookies today? Mm-hmm. They were amazing. One I brought them, them home. The they brought me some, what? One of them's still waiting for me in the bathroom. You brought one in the bathroom? <laughs> because you eat cookies in the bathroom? <laughs> I remember one time I was I was taking a shit. I'd made a roast beef sandwich and I was taking a sh- And I all of a sudden had to take a shit. So I brought my roast beef sandwich into the bathroom and I started so taking gross. a shit, eating a roast beef sandwich. And dad knocked on the door and he goes, anyone in there? And I had food in my mouth and I go, Mur. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, taking a shit. And he goes, what is in your mouth? <laughs> I go, a roast beef sandwich. You know, you were multitasking again. <laughs> one of the jokes that I wish I'd been able to cram into the special was one time I walked into the pantry and Otto was killing a root beer by herself in the Shut pantry. Up, Dad. And I opened the door and she went, <clears throat> and I go, what are you doing? She goes, God, drinking a root beer. Shut the door. I thought you were mom. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm this bad, evil person. You're not no, a bad, evil person it's at all. Yes, the root beers. I think you like the intrigue of being sneaky. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you like—the drama of being sneaky. Sneaky when there's no reason to be sneaky. <laughs> but you enjoy the sneaky. You like the sneak. The sneak's part of the fun. The espionage. Yeah, yeah. and then when your mom doesn't find out in two years, then it, then it happens. Then it's good stuff. Oh, is that oh, the yeah. thing and that then, you're going to tell and me? And then one day, all you all of a sudden you go, Mom, how come there's ants in my bed? And we're like, whose oh. candy wrappers are all on the side oh. of you? Remember that? Remember that? True story. Who's I guess. Podcast? Oh, I love this podcast. This is a great fucking podcast today. I want you to listen to this podcast, Isla. This is the, the this is the woman that got me into spearfishing. Ah, cool. This is single-handedly the woman that got me into spearfishing. <laughs> What's the matter? You've only been spearfishing once. Uh, are you really into it? I don't know. <laughs> Why does mom do this to us? Uh, well, Dad, Dad, I guess Don't I join say, her team. I just have to say one thing. You kind of do sound like a dork. <laughs> <laughs> I went spearfishing once, but I got... I You're started, really into it, though. I started following it because of her. I started watching people spearfish because of her. <laughs> She is phenomenal. She tells one of the best stories I've ever heard about spearfishing. About about her first time spearfishing and then winning a national championship spearfishing. That's cool. Two amazing, amazing stories. I have been a fan of hers since Open Tabs. Oh my God, I had a dream that Halston started Open Tabs up again and he was doing it by himself. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, hey, you can't. It was I had a dream of that on the plane today. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Um, maybe maybe somebody's telling you to start open tabs again. Hey, maybe. Because you have so much like, free time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> after um, the special, you could. After the special, I could. Yeah, December. Cleveland, remember. Uh, oh, by the way, you can use my phone number. I got a lot of people um, saying thank you for giving out my phone number. And here's why. The number is 323-208-0844. I text when I'm doing club dates. I don't put it on social media. I just text it out. And then I allow the club the opportunity to sell it to their fans, to their people, their patrons. That's where the tickets go first. I did a club in Bloomington, Indiana. I think it was maybe like 250 seats, maybe, if that. And I only texted it out. And the people were there. The only people only were people that had my text phone number. That's cool. And so, and, and that is what I use that number for. 
is for letting you know when I'm coming to your city, letting you know when my events are coming out, like my Netflix special, if I was starting production on a TV show tomorrow, uh, that show, when that aired, I'd let you know about that. And obviously when tickets are on sale. Oh, Birdie Boy Tour, we have added shows in New York, Indianapolis, uh, St. Louis? No. I don't God remember. Damn it. We, we added like five cities. Phone. But I remember New York, Indianapolis, Wichita. We've added cities. So go to burpburpburp.com if you couldn't get tickets. And if you're having trouble getting tickets, some places are difficult. This is why I say use that, sign up for that number because I can I can get you that number and I can get you all the information for ticket sales the day it happens and you can get in, but you can get the good seats before all the third-party people start buying tickets or some venues jack up their prices. Whatever, I want you to get the best deal for seeing me live. Right. So... That's why I have that number, 323-208-0844. You'll also get a text on your birthday from me. Um, and I follow a lot of people. I follow Dalia. I follow Whitney. I follow Tommy. I follow Gary V. I follow P. Diddy. I follow them, Ashton Kutcher, Jim Gaffigan. And it's cool. Dalia gave a very heartfelt text this morning. He did his special. So uh, check out those guys. You can find everyone's number if you're a fan of someone. They have their number on Instagram where it says text. If you click that text button, it'll take you right to their phone number. Um, that's really cool it really is and, and my whole thing is Cirque the quickest way I can get to you to say tickets are available right now right and and and, and I, I get emails from people going like I didn't know tickets were on sale that's not your fault that's my fault and that's why I'm going out and finding new vendors like this that have a phone number where I can text you and uh, and and it's it's worked out really good so thank you, everyone in Bloomington, Indiana, that came up and thanked me for getting that phone number. Um, 323-208-0844. And if you don't want to do, do it, you totally don't have to. Um, you can keep following me. I'm going to always post stuff on Twitter and on Instagram just as much as I do the phone number. So, um, yeah. Today's podcast is brought to you by Kamikoto. Kamikoto makes great kitchen knives using traditional techniques. They've just launched their longest blade in the collection, an epic 13-inch Yanagiba knife. This thing right here. It's like Take, a samurai sword. It is so badass. There's nothing cooler than have, looking forward to cutting an onion. Looking yeah, forward so to cutting bad. something. These knives are... Oh, my God. Look at this bad bitch. How much fun is it to pull this out when you have people over and you cut up a, b a bunch of top sirloins, you grill them up, and then you slice them into, look at this. Everyone's going to be like, yo, what knife is that? That's half the, f half the fun of having a knife is pulling it out. <laughs> <laughs> and this knife is absolutely gorgeous. And it comes in this beautiful wood box. I got two knives right here. Uh, but you have four knives right there. Four uh, knives right here. My bad. Four knives. These Kamikoto knives are used by Michelin chefs working at Michelin star restaurants. They make great gifts. I'm telling you when I say, it's always hard to know what to buy a man come around Christmas or birthday or the holidays. I, I, I no guy is ever going to open this and then not go, oh, right? Leanne opened these knives when we were on FaceTime. She goes, you got these knives and open it up. And I was like, oh, I couldn't wait to get home. Yeah. I love these. And they're heavy too. 
These are fantastic knives, and they make a great gift. They come with these whetstones, so you can maintain the edge of your knife, and the Kamikoto is so confident about their knives that each knife comes with a lifetime guarantee. If you go ahead and buy right now, Kamikoto is offering our listeners an extra 25% off site-wide on top of their Black Friday offers. Go to Kamikoto.com and use the promo code BERTCAST. That's K-A-M-I-K-O. T-O.com slash BirdCast. Once again, K-A-M-I-K-O-T-O dot com slash BirdCast. Thank you, Kamikoto. These <laughs> knives are fantastic. They really are. They would make a great gift. We could get Kimmy Warner a pair of these. Kimmy Warner is such a badass. You're going to love this podcast, Isla. I hope you listen to this podcast. This is a good one. I think it's politically correct because, or like not like, a lot of curse words because Kimmy's Kimmy's pregnant too. By the way, she is She's getting ready to have a baby. That's I think. Amazing. I was letting the dogs in. No, the, I wanted get, you to let them in. Let them in. Let them in. Let's get through this read. Okay, both idiots are in. Dumb and dumber. You mean two of the three? Two of the three idiots. Izzy still smells. We have. She has never gotten a bath. Smells. She smells. Yeah, she smells She's horrible. never gotten a bath. She does not smell. She never she smells like bath. rotten popcorn. She smells like a puppy. Oh, you smell her feet and it smells like cereal. I love the smell oh, of her feet. Oh, big girl just got up. Can you hear that? Look at all the dogs. Can you I, can you hear the chaos? What? What? Can you hear the chaos on this couch? <laughs> I hope you can. Oh yeah, tell him, Pris. Tell him, Pris. How cute are those two dogs? Oh, hi, Izzy. I love having dogs. I don't understand someone who doesn't love having dogs, especially big ones. You should see Izzy's face is right next to Briss's, and she's got her eyes wide like, am I about to get fucked up? Izzy. I got to get out of here. We got to start dinner. Um, I'm at the comedy store tonight. Uh, Birdie Boy U.S. tour starts January 29th. And it know. goes till May. May. Uh, we are hitting a ton of cities. Go to burtburtburt.com to see if I'm coming to one of your cities. Uh, everything's on general on sale right now. So go ahead. Go to burtburtburt.com. Get your tickets. Without further ado, everybody, you're going to love this podcast. This is why I got this podcast. So I could find people online and then reach out to them. By the way, we have a big surprise of someone that's coming on the podcast. Very exciting. A huge surprise. Very exciting. I love. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. Hey, Isla, you're banging the mic with Izzy's head. I'm trying to. I'm not going to tell you who it is, Isla. She's going to come here and you're going to lose your mind. Who is it? I'm not going to tell you. Please tell me. But this is why I got this podcast. You're going to love it. Thank you guys for listening. I will see you on the road. Fresno, Reno, Vegas, and Salt Salt Lake Lake City. Oxnard tomorrow night. Everybody, please welcome Kimmy Warner. in Hawaii. Oh, I love the way you say it. See, I won't. Are you rolling, Austin? <laughs> We're rolling. Um, I won't say it like that, and I'll tell you why. I feel like it's I feel like it's disrespectful if I do that. Does that make sense? It, I mean, I I can see. You you grew up in Hawaii, right? Yeah, you're saying it just fine. But I'm not saying. Huh, but you guys go here. Pull yeah, just pull it to your face a little bit. You can move it around however you need to. How's Perfect. that? Good. Okay. You say Hawaii. You can say Hawaii. I say Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah, either one is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just like don't don't say like Hawaii. See, I 
grew up on a movie called The North Shore. <laughs> yes. Do you know that movie? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I love that movie. Oh, yeah. It was such... I mean, it's, it's, it's a classic story of, you know, outsider trying to break in. It's the karate kid. Yeah. It's every exactly. story that we ever saw growing up. There was something... Laird Hamilton was in that movie. And so it was Jerry Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so... We all grew up surfing. In Florida, I never was good. I ne- I was never. I was really, really bad. I all I could do was eat shit. I could never even. <laughs> I stood up maybe a handful of times. But <laughs> we had such a respect for Hawaii because of that movie that, like, all of us were like, like we had unwritten rules in our head that, like, you don't go out and just surf in Hawaii. I mean, come on. We like duck diving was so important to us because he did that in that movie. It it really is a classic. It's something that I can I can just watch again and again. And yeah, the story of Rick Kane and just his whole journey there. It's pretty um relevant, I'd say, too, to yeah. what it really is like in Hawaii. I mean, definitely there's there's cheese ball moments to it and whatnot, which make it all the better. But um I would say the it's pretty on point in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean it, I I always thought that would be that I have one summer like that where I lived out there. Uh, real quick, so that everyone knows, I discovered you personally on Netflix. You had a, did a documentary. It was like you and three other people, maybe. Fish people. Fish people. Um, it was. I think it was me and four other four other people, maybe even five. You stood out. I think you were the first. I was. Yeah. But you stood out. I mean, obviously, you're beautiful. I think that draws everyone's eye. But mm-hmm. when I first saw you dive <laughs> to like a hundred feet, I was like. I was mesmerized. I did everything I could to read everything about you. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about spearfishing. I want to talk about, I really, really want to talk about Hawaii. It's my favorite place in the world. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite place in the world. I think there is not a better place. But I, and I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with it. You grew up there? I did. I was born and raised on Maui, and now I live on the North Shore of Oahu. <laughs> where I, I, Haleiwa is where I've gone out every time to go uh, swimming with sharks. I am right next to Haleiwa. I'm in right by that. Where, where, where's the where's the snow cone place the that has tiger's blood? It has tiger's right blood. by? Yeah, you can walk from the harbor to the snow cone place where they put the condensed milk on top. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's my favorite place <laughs> in the world. Oh. It's that's I love the North Shore. I think the North Shore is absolutely beautiful. But Maui? You grew up on Maui? Maui's incredible. I grew up on the North Shore of Maui and um and then later moved to to Makawa, which is like kind of like a upcountry cowboy town. But um but yeah, Maui is gorgeous and I think because of, you know, growing up on the outer islands now living on Oahu, I do feel like, you know, North Shore is the place for me because it reminds me a lot of the outer islands. It is, you know, still pretty, pretty country and yeah. can be rural and, you know, and it's, it's a little spots. bit of a drive from like, it's, it's definitely drive from like where we've ever stayed. I've stayed in the North Shore Tur- Turtle Bay. Yes. I've stayed in Turtle Bay. You know, by the way, I am really bad at remembering places I've stayed except for Hawaii. <laughs> um but my, I mean, for the most part, all we ever went to is Ihilani in uh, in Waikiki, in Waikiki, right. and then um, and then we've stayed in Waikiki proper, I guess. I've been to Hawaii maybe twelve times. Wow! I've, I but I've, I worked for Travel Channel for nine years. Oh wow! So I, for me, that's why when I saw that video you did with Brad Leone, mm, yeah. I was like, I was like, that, that was you. That was my old job. Uh-huh. And my, I got really jealous. I thought. 
four years ago, I could have said, "Hey, someone get a hold of her. Let's go spearfishing." Right. But uh, but I I don't do that anymore. I just do stand up. But um, but the North Shore is a drive. It is. It's like an hour to get out there. Yeah. yeah. Which is just enough time to decompress and be ready to take it all in. So how old were you when you first started? Do you remember the first time you saw the ocean? I mean, I can't say I remember the first time I saw the ocean because I was probably a little baby. Yeah. Um, but but I remember I remember being introduced to spearfishing and my dad, you know, he he would go spearfishing. We were basically poor when like when I was really young. I, and so he would do it to put food on the table. That's that's why he went spearfishing. And he always jokes that the only reason why I got to come with him is because he also couldn't afford to hire a babysitter when my mom was working. <laughs> but I do remember those early days of him letting me tag along with him. I was about he said I was about four. Um and I just remember getting in the ocean and feeling so tiny, you know, just looking down at this blue ocean that I I just would shrivel up because I couldn't touch the ground and it just felt crazy. But him getting me to just relax into that fear and and then kind of embracing it in a different way and just realizing that I was like in a world where I could fly and just really tagging along with my dad, following him, putting in my orders for my favorite dinners and watching him go down and get them for me. Now, what what is the predominant fish you spearfish in Hawaii? Like, what's the what's the easiest thing that you'll find? And then what's like when you go, oh, shut up. There's such a big diversity of reef fish that that when it comes to the the easier ones, I mean, first of all, it's still gonna take skill. It's still gonna take a lot of work. It does. It is there a difference? Is there a different type of fish you find at a hundred feet versus twenty feet? Most definitely, yeah. Really? So if you're if you're going shallow and you're like fifteen to thirty feet, staying within that first atmosphere, you're gonna just see a whole bunch of reef fish, like surgeon fish and um chubs and you know just little reef fish sometimes a little, some somewhat bigger ones but just a whole variety of different tangs and surgeons and whatnot and um and i would say that that they they will give you as a beginner more of a chance um yeah. you still are probably going to blow it over and over again trying um it's not easy but um it's attainable if you if you stick with it and then after that, if you start being able to go deeper and deeper and diving, you know, to 100 feet or, you know, just in, in more depth, you're going to see these fish called mu, um, which are these like, they're like these emperor fish, these porgies, and they are just so elusive and so hard to get. You're yeah. also going to see fish called uku, which are these um, gray snappers that are predatory fish that, um, you know, that just they know how to work you. And um, and then if you even go deeper, then you'll get into the pelagic fish, the ahi, the ono, the mahi. And that's a whole different game. The ahi, the ono, the mahi. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a mahi-mahi in my refrigerator marinating. <laughs> I, I, uh, what are the depths like? <clears throat> for anyone listening, I, 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 I'm, I can't understate how obsessed with spearfishing I am. I, I can tell. I, I really it. am. It looks to be, in my opinion, I grew up fishing. You know, in Florida, we grew up fishing. Yeah. You grew up snorkeling in the Bahamas. Um but spear and i think spearfishing in the bahamas is done with a hawaiian sling it's right. a different type of spearfish i don't i don't know we never did it 
but it was just like no we were never introduced to it i'm sure we would have probably gotten around to it back when i could have held my breath forever mm. but i've i after seeing your video i, I literally i have like my top five favorite spear fishermen. I mean, like mm. I'm obsessed with it yeah. because it seems very pure. That's amazing that you can have that much of an appreciation for it um, before even trying because it really, and I do think you have to try it. The way that to. you are so into it, I, I would love to actually watch you just go for it because it's exactly that. Like the minute my head is even underwater, it's just a whole different mindset. You know, you're literally in a different world. And it's so freaking cool because there's just there's no words in this world. No one's talking. And you really have to kind of tune in to what's going on around you, to your natural instincts, to all these kinds of things. And it just makes you, first of all, so present in the moment, so aware, so alert. And um, and it's, it's never going to be the same. You know, the ocean is always changing. You can go to the same spot every day. It's going to be a different experience. And then you have to like take your body to the stages of of relaxation in in a time when it's really hard to relax. When when you are in the ocean or in currents or see sharks or just even just wonderful things, you see your dream fish swimming around, your heart is going to beat out of your chest. You're going to every single part about you is going to be freaking out and you're going to have to figure out a way to reverse that to say like get your shit together do not freak out like i know that's your dream fish and i know your word is going to swim away but if you don't calm down right now you're going to blow it and you're going to have to take yourself through this thing of being so like almost zen like sometimes i'll even tell myself i'm taking this drop not to even see that fish. I'm taking this drop just to go down to the bottom of the ocean and take a nap. And I'll actually lie to myself just to get my body to somehow relax more because you need to. If you don't relax like that, you're not going to be able to hold your breath. If your heart rate is going like this, you're not going to be able to hold your breath. And, you know, the ocean's this big mass thing of energy where those things, your heart rate, your thoughts, like they're all these vibrations that can travel through the ocean. The fish, whether they're fish or sharks, they have a lateral line that pick up vibrations. And so that's going to screw you up too. If you're if you're too excited, you know, those fish are going to sense that and they're going to know that you're up to something. They're going to know that you're a predator and they're not going to come near you. And likewise, if it's a big fish, a shark, and you're too excited, you're kind of sending off messages of distress and that's going to, attract it in like your prey and so yeah. there's a the best camouflage you can have for hunting in the ocean it's not your wetsuit it's not the pattern it's it's learning how to slow your heart rate and it's learning how to be calm when you're excited or when you're facing fear and that is the best thing you can do to make yourself invisible that'd be the exact opposite my heart was racing <laughs> we went we went <clears throat> we went uh diving for lobster one time in key west on one of my travel channel shows and <laughs> The couple we were with was so nervous, like so they they couldn't get underwater, they couldn't dive at all, and they would literally pop up after like two feet, like again, again, and and I I could dive down to the bottom, but they couldn't, and then and then like little things like clearing their ears, they they it was just freaking them out. It's amazing to see people who it's like horses, you know. Horses can read you. I got bucked mm -hmm. off a horse in Costa Rica one time because I'd been bit by a bat the night before. 
And we what? It's a long story that no one believes. <laughs> <laughs> I got bit by a bat the day before, and I and I realized it was a bat bite. I thought I had rabies. I thought I was dying, and I got on a horse, and the and the horse read my energy as if he was my therapist, and was like, "Bro, I'm not cool with you on my back. You're going through some shit. I'm not. This is me time. This is you time." And uh, it was <laughs> scary, but. But I feel like the I'm obsessed right now with the ocean and the energy in the ocean. I'm uh, like almost to the place where I want to take mushrooms and go to the ocean and try to read energy because me and my daughter, my daughter Isla is the one that I think really has an affinity for water. She will take my, this is horrible parenting, by the way, if anyone's listening, probably shouldn't even say it, but we'll take my scuba equipment. And get in the pool and she'll breathe underwater. And she literally, the second she does that, you see her body just relax. And she just gets in the water. She's the one who, in the videos, diving deep. And I posted a video mm-hmm. of us in Bali. Yeah. She, would, she could dive so fucking deep that I was like, I was like, that's that's something innate in a human. Right. Not everyone's got my other daughter, George, <laughs> could get a foot and a half underwater, pop up and go, how deep was that? And you're like, it was really <laughs> deep, honey. But we got in the ocean down in San Diego and we were letting it was a shore break and we were just just off the cliff of where it would break it was like maybe 10 feet out but just to the place where our bodies were being pushed to stand back up and the break wave would break behind us and we get sucked out we'd lean forward all of a sudden i'm like in this very spiritual place going i'm i'm having energy that's traveling from thousands of miles away rush into my body past me pull me i was like i got i was i was like i was like god isla one day you're gonna end up smoking pot and this is gonna mean a lot more to you but like <laughs> I, but i'm obsessed with the energy of the ocean because yeah. you're right i see i saw the video of you with the shark and you're and i've seen videos with you so in so many places where your energy dictates the energy around you it does it really does and i mean i think in a way it's like that's why like to me just going in the ocean we played this video for, for oh, i saw that for these two that guys was hilarious and they're they're not and they were losing their but your energy correct dictates that moment you know it 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 does it the energy can shape it but i think a lot of times it's it goes both ways where you have to get in the ocean and you can have to kind of read the energy of what's going on around you and then that's how you dictate what your energy should be and so it, in the case of that shark it's like as soon as so that's a like a 14 foot great white shark it was 17 foot 17? yeah yeah it was three feet between friends <laughs> 17 foot great white right. shark and that is a big i mean like it's a it, it, it's a barrel of a fish. That was a big, big fish. That so was... tell me, set me through the whole scene okay. scenario. So basically, I you know I slip into the water that day. There is not nothing going on that day. Who there, are you with? So I'm with I I'm on this this research vessel for the sake of studying great white sharks and yeah. um and the thing was that you usually go on scuba. You get into a shark cage and then you wait and hopefully a great white will swim by and you get to watch, you know, the animals. And so we did that in the days before and we saw some great whites and that was my first time, you know, seeing great whites like that. And it was cool. But at the same time, um, it 
you know, we talk about energy and, you know, body language and all that kind of stuff. And that's what I'm used to is being a free diver and being outside of a cage. And so it was it was interesting for me. And I got to the point basically where I really missed free diving. And then we had this lull where there were no sharks. There was, you know, nothing. It was such a boring, boring day of not seeing any sharks. People were literally falling asleep on scuba in the cage because there was nothing to see. Like it was just blue water and that's it. And so the captain's like, you know, Kimmy, if you want to free dive today, today is your day. There's nothing going on out here. I was like, I'm so down. I miss it. You how know? deep? How deep were you? I, I mean, it was like bottomless. It was. Okay, it was yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then so yeah, so I put on my my snorkel and my free diving gear, and I was just gonna go in just to get that feeling of diving. And um, and my friend Morgan's like, oh, do you mind if I get some shots of you free diving? And you, know, everyone was just bored because there were no sharks. And so how serendipitous, right? And so I'm like, yeah, sure. And I get in the water. My mask kind of starts to leak. So I have my head out of the water. I'm fixing it. Right when Morgan slips in, I just hear him scream through his snorkel. He grabs my arm. I feel like he's going to rip it out of its socket. He's shaking me so hard. So obviously I know what I'm going to see as soon as I put my face down. And as soon as I do, she's like from me to you swimming straight at me. Whoa. Yes. And so that was a, you know, a very quick instance of reading energy. And if that shark is swimming straight at me, I know I have to embrace this moment and just swim right at her. Because okay. what is what is it going to do if you do the opposite, right? It's going to chase you. Yeah, like, do you think you can outswim a great white shark? Probably not. Oh no, I, I, I was in the water with a great white shark. I've been in the water twice with a great white shark. Once in a cage, once out of a cage on accident. Oh, cool! I, I was doing. We were swimming with blue, uh, with blue shark, blue Those sharks. Are cool shark. Yeah. yeah, very, very like, like almost like dogs, puppy dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They were just literally just come up, and you could put your hand on their nose and. And they, they were really docile. And we were swimming blues just off Catalina with this guy, John Manley is his name. He's like an oceanographer. And they just scattered. And we were like, oh, that's odd. And I, we saw a shadow in the back. It's pretty good visibility, to be honest with you. Shadow in the back, but it was moving with such intention. Mm-hmm, Meaning like, exactly. I don't, like, it, like a running back who sees an opening and you see that running back take that opening and you go, God, man, I don't know if I could move like that. That shark moved so intent yes. that I thought, I, I remember thinking I'd seen videos of shark attacks in my in my life. And I was like, well, if that happened to me, I would just swim. Away. I'd like kind of move them away. I bet I could push away and fight my way off. You can't. Right. That shark decides to make a move and it's going so quick. Mm. And so uh, I hopped out of the water and they were making uh maybe the best cheeseburger i've ever had in my life <laughs> i swear to god i swear to god this woman on this boat made the best breakfast burrito i've ever had in my life and the best cheeseburger i've ever had in my life <laughs> but this guy john manley stayed in the water stayed in the water with this and not far from the cage but watching it but it was scary oh yeah yeah and and don't get me wrong like when when you see when you put your face in the water and you see the face and the teeth of a great white shark swimming right at you. I, you know, it is scary. It's definitely fear. But I think in those moments, you just, you need to be able to harness that fear and turn it into something more useful than panic. And so if you can turn it into courage. I do that with stand up. 
sometimes when I get exactly. nervous on stage, no, I can turn exactly, it into positive energy. I, I completely agree. You know, I mean, when, when I basically just like, what, I just went like, woo, like I just let out this like, let's do it, you know, yeah. and I just swam at the shark. And as soon as I did, she veered off. And then at once she veered off, it was like the minute I swam at her, I think it just kind of told her like, okay, that's not prey. You know, prey doesn't do that. And I, and as soon as I did that, it changed her whole energy where that same, you know, swimming with crazy intention mellowed out. And then this shark started swimming a lot slower. She put her fins out like an airplane, which is kind of gliding. This is it. We're, we're watching it right yeah, now. Yeah, and then that happened. I don't know if you can steal this and put this in the yeah. video, please. Yeah. And, and so basically then I matched her energy where now I'm not going to, swim aggressively at her i'm gonna swim gently gently with her because she's being gentle and so such a beautiful animal so our our energy does i feel help shape the experience and and it's the same of what you say with stand-up because you know by this time in my life i'm very used to dealing with sharks as i am now public speaking i was not used to that public spoke last night oh yeah and so these days i'm able to do the same thing but but when i when i did like my first ted talk I was so scared. Like that's way scarier than great white sharks for me to, to, to know that you're opening and there's like a thousand people out there, you know, and you, your, your heart starts beating fast. Your palms get, get all sweaty. Your voice is shaking and you don't like the way it sounds. That stuff is so Your mouth gets scary. dry and you need to swallow, but you're already in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> all of that, you know, but it's the same thing where I just tell myself like, okay, I know that I, I don't like this, but if I fight it, if I fight this stress that I'm feeling, it's just going to get worse. And I know that because I've tried to fight it before and it, I, my voice just shakes more and it just becomes this horrible experience, you know, where yeah. I'm just trying so hard to think about what I'm going to say because I don't like how I'm feeling. And and yet or I could use it for something more useful if I could say, OK, you know, thank you, heart, for beating so fast. Thank you, palms, for sweating. I don't know why you're doing this, but I know that you're here because I'm about to deliver. I'm about to perform. You are here to give me the adrenaline or the energy or whatever it is that I need that if I don't fight you and I welcome you and I embrace you, you are here to go through my body and let me deliver. And when I embrace it that way, then it becomes a lot less scary. Yeah. Mid-roll reads. Mid-roll reads. What are they? These are mid-roll reads. Black Friday. Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, all made-up days designed to get you to buy more stuff. Let me tell you about another made-up day. It's called Sell Your Shit Sunday. Yep, Sell Your Shit Sunday. Have you heard of that, Isla? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a day to sell the shit you don't use anymore. Created by Mercari. You know Mercari, the selling app that makes selling your stuff fast and easy. So here's what you do. You go through your home and you find all the good stuff that you don't use. The phone in the drawer. Those jeans that you only wore once, I have like nine of those pairs. That handbag hiding in the back of your closet. Then you take a few pics, add a description, and boom, your item is connected to millions of buyers. It is super easy. Macari even emails you a shipping label. When it sells, everything ships too. So there's no awkward meetups with strangers. This app has over 500,000 reviews on the App Store with an average of 4.8 star rating. So why not give it a try? Finally, an app that makes you money. Check out Mercari and make every day sell your shit Sunday. The day may be made up, but the money is real. That's Mercari, M-E-R-C-A-R-I, the selling app. 
Do you remember when socks used to be one of the worst things you could get for a Christmas gift? Mm-hmm. It went fruitcakes, then socks, then like a gift certificate to a restaurant you didn't like. I got some really bad gifts. I gave Kati a bottle of whiskey one time when she was 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? Just to see the look on her face. <laughs> well, times have changed because over the last few years, Stance has completely changed the reputation of socks. They took this piece of apparel that nobody cared about and made them something people can't stop talking about. And now they're the go-to gift for people who really want to make someone happy during the holidays. The first time I saw these socks, I fell in love with them. I love a good, uh, like, calf-high sock, Isla. I don't. I do. And And even more, I like grabbing a pair of socks and having a story to tell myself when I put them on. That's weird. I love it. I love it. I have my Florida State socks, my Grateful Dead socks, and I have these cool outdoorsy hiking socks that I love. It makes me feel like I'm a real outdoorsman. Stance collabs are like a series of the greatest hits from the NBA to the MLB to Star Wars to Step Brothers to the Grinch to Wu-Tang Clan. So many others. You got to check them out. And no lie, these socks are so fucking comfortable. It's really hard to describe because it's not like anything you've ever felt before. I'm telling you, I'm in love with these socks. Take the worry of a Christmas gift off your list. Do not worry about it. These are all the things. If you have someone in your life that's interested in the NBA, the MLB, the NFL, maybe James Harden, Clay Thompson, Donovan Mitchell, The Grinch, Metallica, Step Brothers, uh, Kid Cudi, Harley Davidson, Wu-Tang, Carhartt, Marvel, Disney, Elf, Star Wars, X-Men, literally they have a sock. For anyone interested in just about anything, and right now, my listeners get a free pair of socks with their next order. All you have to do is go to stance.com slash Burt. That is stance.com slash Burt. I can't think of a better gift to give or get this holiday season than a pair of Stance socks. Take the guesswork out of the shopping. Stance makes gifting easy, and everyone will be happy. Stance.com slash Burt for all your holiday needs and a free pair of socks with purchase yeah that's an interesting way to look at it what were you speaking about last night where were you speaking last night i was speaking at this summit called evolve which is basically this um the summit that the surf industry puts on it's a surf outdoor industry summit um and so they just pretty much try and get the you know the different minds of the outdoor industry and i was speaking about how hunting and conservation are are not enemies and they should not be enemies and um and how they might seem like unlikely partners but it's the it's something that i believe in very much is that hunting and conservation are and can be you know the same i think they are i think a lot of people separate them and they make these different groups you know i've had conservationists that don't want to work with me because i kill innocent animals i've had hunters kind of you know write me off because i work with with conservationists and scientists and so they think i'm in bed with the enemy and i'm just like guys things are not that black and white and in fact like where no one's going to get anywhere if we keep acting like this. I think, you know, I was raised by a hunter and a hippie, my mom and my dad. And so I just feel like I'm a half breed of sorts on both worlds. And in that way, I kind of feel like a black sheep of both worlds. But um, but more than anything, I think I also see the harmony and that they're not two separate worlds, that they yeah. go hand in hand. And so that's what I was speaking about. Well, I think anyone raised 
I, I'm not the person to speak about this, but I, but growing up fishing, there was a respect for the ocean in that you didn't you didn't just keep what you caught. You kept what you were allowed to. It was like, it was not only it was a law, but it was like, a, I remember being like the first time I went fishing, being like, in my head, just, oh, you catch everything, keep everything you catch. And friends, my little young, a little older than me, were like, no, 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 no. And you were like, oh. And so there is a real respect. My fifth favorite uh, spear fisherman is a guy in Exmouth, Australia. My goal is for you guys mm -hmm. to hook up and go together somewhere. He's a really cool guy. Um, I just know him from his YouTube page. Um, a little bit, a little bit of a mouth breather, but but he's a great guy. And it is, I he caught this huge, huge. Uh, they call him uh, not not prawn. They call him something else out there. It's not a lobster. Oh, they, they call it the painted crayfish. Yeah, yeah, crayfish. Yeah, yeah, yeah painted yeah. crayfish. Huge one. He's like, this is more than we need, and he put it back. It was like, dude, that's impressed. Like, and then went and got a smaller one. Right. It's like, this will feed us. Right, right, right. But um, that is something that I find. I think the older I get, I, I start realizing the importance of that. You know, I'm good friends with a guy named Joe Rogan, mm -hmm. and Joe. I, I never, I never speak for Joe. I never, I don't, I don't like telling stories that he told me privately. I think he said this publicly. I don't know if he has, so I apologize to Joe if, if I'm <laughs> sh sharing out of school. But I think he was dealing, I think he was going to a point when in his life where he was uh, at a crux with the 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 way the farming industry was and right. the way that it was kind of a little inhumane yeah. and not healthy. And right. I think he was thinking about going vegetarian uh -huh. or and, and that's when he picked up hunting and hunting kind of was a good transition for him. Once again, if I'm speaking out of school. I apologize, Joe. But I think, and I may have heard this on a podcast, I'm not even certain, but he went into hunting and now he just eats his own meat. Whether or not he said That's that, awful. I completely, I, I that resonates with me so much because I do think that, you know, a lot of people, we we get this, this good intention to care about the earth, to care about animals, to care about the environment. And, um, and so our first knee jerk reaction oftentimes is, you know, okay, well then stop eating meat, stop eating you know, fish, stop eating the animals. And, um, and, and I feel like I'm a lot of times on the receiving end of this where then people will look at me and just say, bad guy, you know, cause I'm the yeah. girl going in the ocean with the spear. That's, that's so that's, I, can I tell you, I find that this is going to, this is going to sound a little bit of a stretch, but I found that I find that some of this not connected to your exactly. culture because your culture, Hawaiian culture is live off the land. True, but I also think that that Hawaiian or, or or not or whatever culture you're from, it's also a human thing. And that's I think what people became disconnected to is our human culture, is that we are not separate from the ecosystem. We are literally a mere part of it. You know, we as human beings, we are just animals in this crazy wild kingdom. And it's like if you look at any other animal on this planet, the first thing that they learn is where their food comes from, where their water comes from. You know, they learn that connection because it's essential to survival. And I just think it's pretty ridiculous that we as human beings to actually learn that connection in a way, you know, that that involves truly harvesting your own food, especially if it's animals then all of a sudden it's savage or it's primitive. And it's like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, our way of connecting to food is going to the store, you know, buying a piece of, of meat or whatever it is wrapped in plastic on styrofoam. And, and yes, that can feed you and you can survive. But it's like, 
there is a reason, I believe, why, you know, the the industry, the food industry appreciates us not being connected. Because if yeah. we are not connected, we're not asking the questions. We're not saying, how was this animal raised? How was this, what kind of life did it, did it live? You know, how was this plant raised? What kind of, you know, damage or good did it do to the environment? How were these animals or plants harvested? What are the answers? And if we're not asking those questions, then there doesn't have to be any transparency. And by not asking those questions, we really make it easier for them to mass produce, to do things in a way that doesn't have us, you know, in mind that doesn't have the benefit of the planet in mind, but only has profits in mind. And so that's what happens is then we create these th- these industries where it's just like feedlots and, and, and mass-produced, tortured animals, basically stuffed with antibiotics and then fed to us, you know, where we don't have to associate that they have a soul. We don't have to associate that we are using our dollars to still kill. We are killing in mass numbers. Um, and and it, it goes for, for plants and animals, you know, industrial farming and the way that that's done. It's, it's, not, it's not any better. And yeah. so, so basically, it's so interesting, though, because I think sometimes people start to catch on to that. And they start to catch on to, to the bad of these industries. And then the first thing they do is they just say, okay, well, then I'm going vegan. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, it's more complex than that. And yeah. and then for people to then look at like artisanal fishermen, at bow hunters, at people who actually have this true connection to the earth, at spearfisher people, true connection to the ocean, and then say, oh, how dare you? It's like, no, honey. You're just missing the connection. Yeah. Like completely missing it. Like thank you for your good intention. But yeah, but you're part of the problem. And so for for someone, you know, whether it was Joe or not, to to just like kind of evaluate and examine his choices. I can go vegan, I can do this, or who is out there doing it right? You know, what is a way where I can harvest meat and truly feel good about what I'm putting into my body about, you know, this animal living a wild life about using all parts of it, you know, because that's another huge thing too, is when it comes to these industries, it's like the, the waste is a huge part of it too, is if you only know how to eat a boneless, skinless filet of fish, because that's what you do to make it where you can't tell that thing had a soul, you know, if you can't look it in the eye and see a fish from head to tail and say that's still food, you're, you're really changing the yield of that animal. Like it, to eat a whole fish and be able to pick it off the bones, you're getting so much more out of it yeah. than than the waste you get if you're just eating a filet and throwing the rest away. Yeah. And, and it's the same with, with meat. You know, like back in the day, if someone were to kill a cow, like that cow could literally feed a restaurant for months. And I really mean months. There's a lot of meat on a cow. Yeah. And if you were to have chefs that learn how to prepare all parts of this cow, make different dishes every night and serve it in a resourceful, delicious way, telling the story of this animal, it's like that would last a long time. But again, if like you're just having a restaurant where all people know to order is chicken breast or filet mignon, like imagine how many animals have to die For to fulfill those orders. Yeah. Imagine how much waste goes on. And so... Really, when it comes to people who are going out 
and harvesting their own animal, which I know is not something every human can do. But all I'm saying is that those are the people that for the most part are using the whole animal, that are actually being honest and accountable about the life that they're taking, who appreciate every single bite so much more than than people can even understand. And, um, and, and if everyone were to eat more like that, we'd be a lot better off. And I mean, I just think that one thing about animals too because people are like oh it's still that animal still had to die you still took a life it's like guess what we're all taking lives our existence comes at a cost like whether it's the houses we live in the products we use the plants that we eat like we are we we have a cost but it's like to to do it in that way it's like that's what nature is In, in nature that's what happens animals live these wild free lives and guess what they're all gonna have one bad day that's just plain and simple it, you know? But to me, living a beautiful wildlife and having one bad day, I would take that any day over living as like a tortured feedlot, mass-produced animal, born and raised for food. And and and, and with this, I'm not trying to beat up the, the good guys in that industry either because yeah. I, there are good guys in that industry too. There are great ranchers. Mm-hmm. There are great people raising animals for food. And there's, you know, there's always the good 1% out there. And so I just think before we turn our back on any form of diet or whatnot, first look for the good guys. First look for a better way to do it before you just shun something completely because then you're really hurting the ones who are doing it right. You seem very, very passionate about the conservation <laughs> yeah. side. I, I'm I'm constant I'm passionate about both. And that's the thing is is you put me with conservation as you start bad mouthing hunting and all I'm gonna do is is speak up for that. And you put me with hunters who don't care about conservation. And I just think that um that they have to go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, that that's the balance of nature. And the more connected we get to it, the I don't know, the more that we're going to see that we are not we're not separate from it. To see yourself in, to see yourself working in this ecosystem is different than it's almost it's it's almost elitist to be like, thank you, observing down at the ecosystem and going, I have notes, guys, as opposed to going, no, no, I'm going to get in the ocean with the animals, and I'm going to get my dinner the same way they get their dinner. It's almost respectful, I think. I I, I agree too. I think that's what kind of really turned me on to spearfishing because I was like. You're putting yourself in peril. Obviously, you go. At, I mean, I've seen so many videos of of people fighting a shark for their fish, mm-hmm. where you're like, and and I I find I find that admirable. You know that that you're going. I'm going to go get my dinner, and then you shoot one, and you go. That's dinner. Well, that's the thing, right? Is I mean, obviously, there. If I just wanted to make it easy there's a lot easier ways for me to get a fish than to get in the ocean, (laughs) hold Hold my breath, breath. (laughs) swim down to the bottom of the ocean, holding my breath and just throw some dirt over your head. Right. All of that. (laughs) And and just have one shot to get one fish and make it back up to air. Like that's not necessarily the most efficient way with all the technology and different fishing practices we have today to get a fish. And it's the same with bow hunting. It's like, there's a lot easier ways to rifle. (laughs) You don't have to, you don't have to, could you line it up with it? Yeah. And so I think that there there is definitely a reason why people choose these more primitive ways of stalking and hunting. And it's exactly that. It's because it there's something beautiful about 
kind of putting yourself like, you know, to this disadvantage or leveling that playing field because the more that you do that, the more you have to pay attention, the more you have to hone your skills, the more you have to be able to read, you know, every part of the reef or every single bait fish or the way the seaweed's going or whatever it is. And same, you know, same with hunting. It's like you have to literally stick your face in the dirt sometimes and stay in the weirdest positions for so long where every part of your body hurts and you can't move. But by the time you're done, you know what that dirt smells like, like it's nobody's business. You know, yeah. you understand these parts of nature. You know like what plant is scratchy and noisy what plant is cool and quiet and then you can't look at your backyard the same after that because you know these plants these animals these sands these currents everything on such an intimate level that you would have never known if you didn't have to do that and so there's something about that hard work that you have to put in to do things even though you could do it easier that makes you it gives you character but it also gives you more connection to this planet, which is really cool. Do you find yourself eating the fish you catch and make for yourself? Do you find yourself eating it different than if you go to a restaurant and order fish? I do. I, I rarely go to restaurants and order fish just because I I feel so spoiled in the ingredients I'm able to bring home. Oh, because what you get is like... Yeah, and I, I do have a <laughs> culinary arts degree, so I also just love to cook. Oh, and- I watched... I watched- I mean, I watched your Instagram. I, can I tell you, one of my obsessions was that damn lizard that hung out at your house that you'd feed. Nigel. Yeah. I miss him. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing too. Like, I don't know. I just, I do think all those little things, because there's a reason I feel that most of, I haven't had pets in a long time because I travel so much that yeah. it would just be I'd love to have a big dog like you have but I just I'm I'm gone too much and um and yet over the years I've just picked up all these wild pets you know from wild birds yeah. that I've tamed to the geckos I had two geckos one was gecky the office gecko and one was nigel the porch gecko and as they would just like you know crawl at me and whatnot and people would be like how do you, you do that them. exactly they like honey and um and everything from chickens to even a we wild have, boar, pog. Um, really? Yeah, you got to watch that. It's in my highlights. His first name was Ballsack because he had a big Ballsack. But yeah. um, but then I realized that wasn't really appropriate for Instagram, so I named him Pog. Uh, you haven't seen part my Instagram. Pig, part dog. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but this wild boar just showed up in my yard one day, and uh, I'm like, oh, it's going to ruin me as a hunter. But um. But yeah, and somehow I got to know him, fed him an avocado. And after that, he would just come for the scratches and the belly rubs. Really? Yeah, you got to look for my highlights. I want to talk, talk about the, I wanna talk about the um, logistics of spear hunting and holding your breath and depths and fish. And I want to talk about your favorite fish, but I kind of want to know what your life's like right now. Like, what's your life like, like right now? And what's it been like? Like, what, I want to know about... Maybe the path from being just Kimmy, who everyone knew as a spearfisher person. Is that better? <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever. But yeah. uh, but uh to like where you are now where you're where you're you're traveling so much you can't have a pet and you're public speaking and I would love to know about the journey from like before I heard of you until today. Okay. It's been a really interesting evolution. Um you know, so basically I pretty much picked up spearfishing at 24. So that's interesting because I told you I got introduced to it at like four or five. Yeah. But basically that was when my family was poor. 
And that was when we had to do it. By the time I was seven or eight, my parents were making money. My mom, she she went to college when she was 41 for the first time and, and then got her nursing degree, became a nurse. My dad started making money. So then we- Is she Filipino? She's, um, she's, she's not. <laughs> Joe Coy. Joe Coy's got me obsessed that every Filipino is a nurse and every nurse is a Filipino. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that one Oh, yet. God. It's like, it's- Next time you go to the doctor, just start looking at name tags. But he's a he's a comedian. Joe Coy's a comedian. He's very, very, very funny. And he comes to Hawaii a lot. <laughs> I'll get you tickets next time he comes down. Sweet. Both your parents Hawaiian or is one white? My dad is white. Okay. My dad um my dad grew up in New Mexico and then California and then he went to Vietnam and after the war then he came to Hawaii. It was all kind of messed up in the head, was taken in by this Hawaiian family. <clears throat> they taught him to spearfish. Um he met my mom who was living in a cow pasture in her car, to tell you the truth. And um she was a she was a hippie and um she had just gotten divorced and moved out and then they hooked up um and then they had us and um, you a bro- your brother they had my sister and i your sister I, I don't know why i thought you had a brother well i do have a brother so that's okay. another long story i have so i have two brothers i mean my bo- both my parents were married before so i have an older brother richard who was a, you know living in the car with my mom in the cow pasture at the time um and then i have an older brother named randy who i only met 10 years ago so that's a trip but basically yeah when my mom was 17 she got pregnant in high school and um you know huge dishonor to the family my mom came from a japanese family like very very bad to get pregnant you know and um and she was kicked out of school she was not the school wouldn't let her go to school and be a bad example um she was kicked out of the house and and she just came from a really shitty upbringing to tell you the truth like she was never like no one ever told her that they loved her and she was kind of just like this slave having to work in the pineapple factory and turn over her paychecks to her parents and basically when she got pregnant she got kicked out only to be told later like you can move back in after you have the baby and you go back to work um but we're gonna raise this child as your brother and you're not allowed to tell anyone that it's your son and my mom was just like okay fuck that i had the most messed up childhood i can imagine i want to get this baby as far away from this household as possible and um and that's what she did so she gave her baby up for adoption um a story that way later in life she had me at 36 so way later you know she told me this story as soon as i could understand english and i was obsessed like i was like we're gonna find him one day we're gonna bring him home and um you know, when I was seven years old, actually, the, the teacher asked me to write a paper. Who do you want to meet, dead or alive? I said, Abraham Lincoln, thank him for freeing the slaves. The Earl of Sandwich, you thank him for his awesome inv- invention of the sandwich <laughs> and show him all the sandwiches in the world. And it was always my brother. And I want yeah. to bring my brother home. And, um, you know, I kind of grew up and realized that might be a silly dream and it might not happen. But 10 years ago, he actually found us. And turns out that he is the chief scientist of NOAA, he, uh, of, the, of Papahanaumokuakea, which is like the Northwestern Hawaiian Islands, um, the biggest marine um, national monument reserve in the country. Yeah. He's basically this fish nerd. He is a top dog conservation scientist that has achieved so much. Really? He was adopted by great, wonderful academic parents. As soon as they showed him his way to his ocean, he made the ocean his life. He became this awesome diver. Um, wow. And 
ended up making his career as a conservation biologist of the highest degree. And, um, and yeah, I got a little scared that maybe he'd meet his fish killing sister and not like me, but it turns out he's smart enough to understand that we're on the same side. And nice. yeah, the minute that we met, we just like, I started off a little awkward, you know, yeah. stealing glances out of each other. Uh, I'm sure vodka helped a little bit, but <laughs> within no time we were just in such great conversation and it was one in the morning and we just didn't want the night to end. Oh, and, and for him meeting my mom and becoming part of the family, like it just, it healed her in every way possible. So oh, well, long story short, yes, I have brothers. <laughs> so, so, so you start spirit. You, you st- so basically, yeah. So, so anyway, mom, white, white Vietnam vet dad. Yeah. They start making money. We start living a civilized life. We no longer depend on the ocean for our food. We grow up getting it from restaurants, from stores, live a very civilized life spear fishing seems to be a thing of the past i grew up i moved to oahu i get my culinary degree how old, how old? i am so high school high school in in, in maui. maui at that place at that high school maui right by high. the big banyan banyan tree yeah okay yeah yeah exactly I've, and- I, I i know that i i when we would shoot i'd have they'd have time to set up and i'd just take walks that's so and cool. i remember walking by the high school going like so this is where you'd go to school Wow, how cool would that be? It, it was pretty cool. And so I graduated at 18, moved to Oahu, studied culinary arts, graduated at 21, um, got a job cooking in the restaurant industry. After a while, I just realized I'm freaking miserable. And um, and I just couldn't figure out why. I'm like, this is, this is going to be it for the rest of my life. Like, Oh, like, my God. How many just, times have people said that to themselves? Man. Is this it for the rest of my a, life? Yeah. And I was just like, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm not happy. <laughs> that might be the base of all big decisions you make in your life of, of you sitting there going, so is this it for the rest of... That should be on a coffee mug. Seriously. So is this it for the rest of my life? Yeah, that's a good question to ask yourself. I was I was on... Not to derail podcasts and talk about myself so fucking much. <laughs> on my first TV show, I was making money. I had a deal. I had my second television deal. I had a great car. I was... I, I had everything you wanted in Hollywood. I've been a stand-up for six months. Got discovered by Will Smith. I'm... Now on a TV show that's nightly, I'm meeting celebrities. I'm in my car. I'm in a Jason Williams jersey when he played for the Kings. I'm in a, I have a brand new SUV. The weather's perfect. I'm listening to Ja Rule. I'm taking a left off Franklin. And I just think to myself, so is this it for the rest of my life? And I went, I got really depressed. Yeah, I had all, I'd accomplished all my dreams, it. but it, they weren't fulfilling. Right. Yep. And then when I met my wife, we were broke, broke, had no money. I remember skateboarding home with a gallon of milk at night <laughs> and thinking to myself, I could do this forever. Exactly. And, then, and you're like, you're like, wow, how crazy that like when you're happy, you you just you could be you're in it. You're like, this is this is what I want. But so when you're not happy, you, you can get caught in that thought of it's so true. So it's just this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I, I I'm glad that you derail to tell that story because that is the same story it's like it's all you know i just think it's so relevant and um and the exact same thing kind of happened to me is i got to the end of accomplishing all these things and then i'm like oh like i'm not stoked on this and um and so the more i started doing this soul searching like what is it that you need kimmy to make you happy the more i just saw these memories of free diving with my dad at five at you know foraging on land like for for food with my mom at five. And I was just like, damn, that that was when I was the happiest, was when we were dirt ass poor. 
and I had nature and I had family and we were getting food and I understood where it came from. Right now I'm working in a restaurant industry, working with these frozen fillets and things that I have no connection to. I might be making money, but this is just is not fulfilling. And that was when I realized like I need to see what this is about, you know, because I just thought it was nostalgia. Mm -hmm. I thought that that type of lifestyle did not exist anymore. It was a thing of the past. I was lucky to experience it, but it's not for this modern world. Yeah. And um, and then one day I just remember seeing these guys throw down these fish on the barbecue. And I just realized like, that's not the fish that I work with in the restaurant. And those aren't the fish I see in the supermarket. Those are the fish that I know by heart. Those are the fish that my dad would catch, that my mom would help me clean and cook and whatnot. And I asked them, you know, where'd you get this? And they said, spearfishing. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I used to go spearfishing. Will you take me? And then I realized, you know, no one ever called because I realized I'm like, when I was five, I used to go yeah, call yeah, me, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? And so of course nobody called. I was a liability to them. But I just, I was obsessed like the same way you are. And I was just like, uh -uh, I have to see about this. And if they're not going to call me, I'm just going to go. And so I went out, I got a three prong spear like the kind they use in the Bahamas, not a spear gun, no trigger mechanism, simple, primitive, three prongs on one end, rubber band on the other end. You know, you pull the rubber band, you let it go, it would fly like three feet underwater. And um, and I drove out to the North Shore. I was living in, in the city at the time, but I drove all the way to the North Shore, got in the water. I remember walking across the beach and there were people on the beach looking at me, you know, this girl with a spear. And and I felt so embarrassed because I just felt oh. like, oh, they know I have no idea what I'm doing. That's, that, is, that, is the, that is the number one hurdle to achieving anything in life oh, is that embarrassment yes. of like, it's the reason I don't do a lot of things. Yeah. It's because the embarrassment of going like, is someone going to say, hey man, you're not allowed to spearfish here or hey man, they don't let paddle boards out here. You can't surf here. <laughs> exactly. And you just go, I don't want to be the guy. Oh my God. And so I was like trying to hide my spear and just like, you know, and then I get in the water hoping it will all go Pretending away. Pretending it's a metal detector totally. as you walk on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> And the anxiety just got worse. I got in the water. I'm like, I really don't have any idea what I'm doing. You know, it's not just what people looking at me thought of me. It's true. I start swimming and I'm just like, it's like a kind of a dirty, rough day to be out. And um, and anyway, I keep swimming and keep swimming. I'm at a point where I'm so stressed out. I just want to turn around and go home. I think this is a dumb idea. And then for whatever reason, this white cap is, you know, this windswell kind of breaks in the distance and I see bubbles. And as soon as I see bubbles, I just feel this calm come over me. And it triggered this memory that I realized is that sometimes when I was five years old trying to keep up with my dad, I'd see a pretty turtle or something. I'd get distracted, look up, look around. Dad's nowhere in sight. I didn't do my job of keeping up. I'm scared as shit. All of a sudden, I'd have to look at the very edge of my vision. And as long as I could see the bubbles left by his fins, I'd be like, oh, that swim that way, you know? And and oh so God. that's what I would do. Yeah, he wasn't the safest, you know, father. <laughs> no, but, no, but what a great, what a great, I wish that my daughters had just an ounce of that self-reliability to go, like if my daughters were like, I followed a turtle. Oh, I'm fucked. I might as well just drown myself. <laughs> yeah. It's like, then even as like a grown woman, 24 years old, I see the bubbles and I'm like, oh, safety. You yeah. know, even though it's a mental trick, all of a sudden I feel this calm come over my body as if like swim that way. 
everything's going to be okay. And then that's what I started doing. I started just tricking myself. I started either following bubbles that were not left by my dad's fins, but made me feel better or just imagining bubbles or just imagining my dad's silhouette, you know, because when I was five, I had this you know, thought that as long as he was there, nothing bad could happen to me. And before I knew it, first from doing that, just to keep myself calm and keep myself swimming, I end up coming across this reef. I look down. Lo and behold, are those little fish. And I just tried trial and error up and down over and over again all day, failing, but finally succeeding. And by the end of the day, I had caught these five little fish. You know, they don't get much bigger than like five or six inches. But man, the woman that came out of the water that day, totally different woman than the one that walked in. Everyone should get to have that journey. Everyone should get to have that. I felt like a freaking lioness, you know, like coming back with my cat and like just feeling so self-sufficient and satisfied. And then to go home and cook those fish the way I remembered how to and and share it with my roommates. It was just like it was exactly your gallon of milk skateboarding moment. Like I could do this for the rest of my life. I don't give a shit. You know, I don't care if I'm not happy with my job. I don't care if I don't have everything together. As long as I have this, I can do this for the rest of my life and I can be happy. Wow. And so that was when I just said, I am never letting go of this again. And I went into it, you know, full on. And um, and then soon um, those other divers started calling because I started showing up at barbecues with my own fish to contribute. And then I got partners and then I learned more and more and more. And then I fell into the hands of these super elite divers that had been national champions and they saw potential in me and they said, we're going to train you. And, um, and I got really lucky with them because they were the best mentors in the world. And they were the ones that I didn't know, you know, my dad, he wouldn't dive like a hundred feet and like shoot these huge fish. He was just trying to survive. Yeah. These guys, they taught me what the human body can really accomplish. That, that is my hurdle. Like not one of, one of my many millions of hurdles in this whole process, but like, Holding your breath is, so when you first started, how long could you hold your breath for? Oh, I would say probably like 40 seconds, not long. I held I my breath know. for a minute yesterday. I was swimming back and forth. I do. I, I right. swim back and forth in my pool to see how many times I can go, and I try to just build it. Every, every day I swim back and forth. It's a ritual. But now I'm going back and forth, and then I started seeing, I used to be able to hold my breath for a minute and 30 seconds. Nice. And then I, and. While swimming. No. No. Okay. <laughs> very, very different, I know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yesterday the other day I I did it. I was like, oh, I bet I can do it for a minute, just go back and forth. Um but so when you started, you were at 45 seconds. Well, I mean, when I was hunting, I would guess that's where I'm at. Because you have to like kick down to the bottom of the ocean. You have to load your three prong and hold it with your muscles, which is then burning all your oxygen. You have to wedge yourself in between these rocks and get close to fish. And so doing all of that makes it a lot shorter. So I would guess, yeah, yeah. I would guess when I first started. And how deep is that? Like, uh, that's just like 15 feet? I was probably going about 15 feet. Yeah, because I remember when I started going 25, I felt really proud of myself. 25 feet yeah. is so deep. And then I, I started learning from these guys. And then before I knew it, I was holding my breath you know, for over two minutes and I was going over a hundred feet and it was just like ridiculous game changer. I mean, everything about them, the way that they moved and their finesse, like everything, it just taught me the art of like, of, of being smooth, of slowing down. And, you know, I think once you see something as possible, it makes it so much more possible for you to achieve. And so being able to shadow them 
changed my whole life. And um, and after a few years of diving with them, I just really wanted to follow in their footsteps. So I just said, hey, I want to enter the national championship. I want to see what that's about. And um, it's just free diving. So it's, it's a spearfishing one. So it's spearfishing. Yeah, so what is this? So yeah, right. So there's a free diving spearfishing national championships, and basically it goes to a different. You know, it rotates around to different states every year. Um, sometimes it's in California. I did one out here in Malibu. Sometimes it's in Hawaii. Sometimes it's in Florida. But the year that I said, you know, I'm ready. I want to do this. It was in Rhode Island. It was in Newport, Rhode Island. So yes. And so all my guys were just like, Kimmy, wait, just wait till it comes to California. Wait till it comes to Hawaii. I'm like, no, I'm ready now. And they're like, okay, first of all, you don't have money. It's going to cost you a lot of money just to fly there. It's in Newport, Rhode Island. It's an expensive place to get housing. You know, you're going to have to stay there to scout and figure it out. But more than anything, it is nothing like diving Hawaii. And um, <clears throat> and I was stubborn and determined. And I just said, no, I'm ready now. And so I so did it. So what's the competition entail? So, so basically, it's like a scavenger hunt. So you um, you have a kayak. That's your mode of transportation. Um, they blow this horn. And you, you're supposed to have scouted out the grounds. So then you know where you're paddling You already to. scouted out the grounds. You're so, so you got to get to Rhode Island like a, like a week before. Yeah, but I didn't. I couldn't afford to. So I got there four days before the tournament. Um, you should get there like a couple weeks before, really. Yeah. But like... I got there <clears throat> four days before and um, and then got in the water to scout <clears throat> and realized these guys are absolutely, it's my first time diving outside of Hawaii, okay? <laughs> like biting off a little more than I could chew. <clears throat> and I could not even see my own fins. The water was so dirty. It was cold. I was having to wear a five mil wetsuit, which I wasn't used to at all. You know, yeah. like for me, that felt really thick and buoyant. And anytime I even tried to like dive down to the bottom, I couldn't even get there because I'd get scared because it was so different, you know, in Hawaii. So dark. Such, yeah. I was used to clear water, swimming on the surface, being able to see the bottom, see the fish, plan my drops accordingly. Over here, I'm diving into the darkness, into these cold thermoclines. And then I would see this layer of green. I'd be like, hey, Kimmy, there's the bottom. Hold on, hold on. You're almost there. And I'd go right through it. It was just another thermocline. And then I'd see brown, but there it is. And I'd go right through it. And I'd always turn around, go up to the surface, gasping for air. And I'm like, man, I am so out of my league. But um, but finally, after trying for a whole day, pretty much, I, I just told myself, you know, stop expecting like when that bottom's going to come and just trust that it's going to come. And I made it to the bottom. And when I did, there's mussels in Rhode Island, which we don't have in Hawaii, and they filter the water. They're all over the bottom. They filter the water so I could see. So it's clear at the bottom? At the bottom, it's so clear because the mussels filter the water. It was amazing. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, I can see. I can do this. And then I learned a different skill which was to listen because the fish eat the mussels. So I could hear them chomping before I could even see them. And I could hear where they're going to come from. And so in the next few days, I just learned to scout like that. And four days later, I became a national champion. Um, and so that changed my life a lot. You know, I kind of came home and was treated like this hero. And all of a sudden, like I'm on the covers of magazines and getting interviewed for the morning shows. And then people don't think I'm so crazy anymore. And um and, and then after a while, I start getting a little bit of support, you know, people wanting to like pay for me to go and, and get my plane ticket or give me spear guns, stuff that, you know, I didn't have access to before. And um, and and 
And at, and I by this time I had quit my culinary arts job and I was I was trying to survive off of being a painter an artist because that gave me the freedom to dive whenever the water was good you know and bail and just dive but of course that doesn't make a lot of money um, but now after becoming the national champion my paintings are selling so it just seems like wow all my dreams are coming true and um, and then that's what I did for the next few years is I just competed and I got you know better and better I got to travel the world and it really seemed like man maybe I can even like get paid that get sponsors and like make a living off of this completely instead of having to work two jobs um i and can then, help you get a flip-flop sponsorship <laughs> <laughs> but but basically after like almost two years of this same thing happened not happy and i just really? like yeah and i just realized like it's the same thing like is this really what's making you happy and it wasn't you know i, I was traveling to all these places now getting there a month in advance but all I was doing was scouting. All I was doing was 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 going in there to train and train and train for one day of shooting a bunch of fish and going home with a trophy. I wasn't getting to know the culture. I wasn't getting to know the food. You know, I wasn't even getting to eat the fish. Like, I mean, it, it's fine. I'm not against it. It doesn't go to waste. It all gets donated and mm-hmm. whatnot. But it just, it wasn't that same feeling of satisfaction that I had from that first day, you know, and it wasn't ever the same satisfaction I had from that first tournament either. And I realized I was kind of chasing something that wasn't exactly me. And that even when I came home just to go three prong and get food in my, you know, my backyard, like I used to, my brain couldn't help but be like, how many points would that fish be worth? How many points would this fish be worth? And that's just not what the ocean was to me. That's not why I learned this. And and I just realized this is not if, if I'm losing my happiness from the ocean, it's time to walk away. And so that's what I did. I quit competition. I felt like a big failure. I just really felt like I sucked and was a quitter. Um, and I just thought, well, there's no way you're going to make a career out of this now. Um, but I took some time off and I just thought about, like, what do I want to do? And I realized, OK, I want to get back into doing this for food. And so, yeah, so I started like getting my own food, planted a garden, you know, and started really like saying what's important to you. And one thing that I realized is um, the ocean that I knew at five years old didn't look the same as it now did, you know, I was like now 28 years old. And I, because there's a big gap, I could really see a difference. And I'm like, yeah, the reef is a different color. The fish stocks are different. Like what's going on? And I wanted to learn why. And so from then on, whenever I did save up money to take a trip, this time I'm like, I just want to travel. I want to meet the locals. I want to hang out. I don't want to just do it for a trophy. I want to cook fish over an open fire with them. I also want to ask them questions about how they manage their fisheries, how they see things going. And that was when I learned all about all this environmental stuff that I didn't know. I didn't know about microplastic pollution. I didn't know about water runoff. I didn't know about climate change. Water runoff is interesting. Know? Yeah. Water runoff, is that that's a problem in Hawaii, correct? It's a problem, yeah, in a lot of places, but definitely Hawaii. Uh, we did something <laughs> in Hawaii. It's like the number one killer of reefs in Hawaii. Basically, yeah, if if if, if we don't have a watershed, if we don't have nature, you know, when, when it rains, the way nature's designed trees and plants and, you know, native plants and stuff like that is to absorb all the water, filter it, you know, take a slow time. By the time it gets to the ocean, it's coming out at a pace and like at a level that the ocean can handle it. If we just develop everything and it rains and that just it's hitting concrete, it's just taking all the chemicals and heavy metals and all of that and rushing into the ocean at a speed that the ocean can't handle. And then it settles, you know, on the reefs and all the sediment happens 
And then when we get like invasive algae blooms and just that sediment alone kills the reefs, which kills fish. And um, and it's it's really happening everywhere. And that, uh, that's another reason, too, why it's just like, you know, even like with certain types of industrial farming, it's really bad for water runoff. And so it's like the more traditional styles of farming are good because of the way that that biodiverse climate, you know, changes things. But this is all stuff I didn't know. And it's really complex and, you know, and whatnot. But but I got to learn about all of these things and um, and kind of started just sharing it just because I cared about the ocean. And and as I shared it, I just got an even bigger following. And then before I knew it, um, I started getting sponsors like sponsors that i would have never got otherwise you know patagonia is my first sponsor um oh, a great sponsor such a good one and um yeah so they're my very first sponsor to sign me and i'm with i'm with yeti now i already have a flip-flop company, Olu- flip-flop company? olukai i love them so much uh, <laughs> i'm not a fan of olukai i am they're uh, they're great for hawaii that's like yeah um <laughs> And it's Olakai, a Hawaiian brand. They are based <laughs> off of the culture of Hawaii, and yeah. they do a good job. Traeger Grills. I'm, oh, for real? Yeah, they're Traeger Grills are awesome. They're a great one. Rogan swears by his Traeger. And it's the best for wild game. That's why. Really? It, it, it's just amazing. I don't understand it. It's like sorcery, but like sometimes you know these wild game and venison. They're delicious meats, but they can be they can be tough to grill. Yeah. They can be too lean, too dry, whatever. Somehow Smoke that it Traeger, it just you just can't go wrong. Like you can't screw it up. You Sweet. Can, Who else are your sponsors? Traeger, um, Olakai, Rife International. So they're my spearfishing sponsor. They like make my fins, my mask, my spear guns, everything. Really? Do you have that mask? Fishing. Do you have that mask where it's just little eyeballs in it, and it, or do you, do you use a full mask? I use a full mask. What's that? Why do they use the my daughter? bought a freaking little tiny mask with just little uh, eye slits and, and it, it looks like a it looks like a looks like a villain's mask hmm. you know what i'm talking about maybe it's just a low volume mask i don't know, I don't know. i'd have to see Isla it. just saw it liked it and was like i want this mask and then we all go snorkeling and i'm like wait your mask looks ridiculous <laughs> she's like it's i like it it's more sleek maybe yeah it is. she yeah. likes that mask i love uh yeah i i have i bought the same exact mask three times um it's a big i don't forget i forget the name of it but so who's that rife rife international they're based out of um california um and jay rife he is a legendary he is he's a legendary diver and he started the whole company and just really great spear guns great family pull up some business by the way i could totally I but this is my personality. I could totally deck like go into a, a shop and buy all spearfishing gear and never use it. <laughs> yeah, like, it's cool I, stuff that climbing to have. Gear, I, have, I have like high end climbing gear. I've been climbing. You should four then. Times. You should definitely have some spearfishing gear in here. With how oh, it would look so good. It would look really cool. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's Rife International. Um. And then Almavara sunscreen, they're like a reef safe sunscreen. June Shine is a hard kombucha company and Kona Brew Beer is is a great beer company. Kombucha? Yeah, but hard kombucha. So oh, with alcohol in it. No, but that's so it's not like they take kombucha and they mix it, you know. It's no, not no, a, no. It's but they, they ferment, ferment it, it to the point where it where becomes I love those. No, it's awesome. Those are the best. What's the name of this company? June Shine. It June is, Shine. Google yeah, no, June Shine real quick. They're they're new and I'm just telling you. June Shine and then what's, what's your beer sponsor? Kona Brew. June Shine. Look at that. Like June Shine. 
Yeah. I'm getting I'm getting June Shine right now. No, you really, can really I, well, have I can probably to. order it on Amazon, can I? Yes. And so. it, it's like it is um it's really good and it's just I all... love hard kombucha. Yeah. It it is so great. It's so good. Like when they first approached me, I thought like, oh, they probably like are mixing it with vodka and that sounds weird. But no, you pop one open and it's like it's not too sweet. It's just like a really good brew. It's delicious. I have um the at, at the store. I'm trying to at the store next to me they have hard kombucha June shine and um I got one and I I I'm changing my lifestyle a little bit. I used to I do I will say I do cuz I haven't not yet but I've, I drink on planes. I've always drank on planes. Mm-hmm. I'm changing that. But one of my favorite things was to have a hard kombucha on the ride to the airport. Because it doesn't look like a beer. It doesn't look like a, a kombucha. <laughs> I'm being healthy. I'm a health nut. You know who no, introduced me to kombucha so. was Gabby Reese. Oh, cool. I did a, I did See, a they pilot know about with her. health, yeah. She was like, oh, yeah. She's, <laughs> she's. I, I mean, I, I only met her this one day. We shot this pilot. And um, I, I, I think I was having a bagel. And she was, and she was like, that's not food, by the way. I was like, what? She's like, that's mm-hmm. not food. That's not. You're not putting food in your... I know you think you're eating food. That's not food. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, it's, just, it's not food. Like, and like, and was like, she's very, she's very insightful. Right. About, um, about that kind of stuff. And I think I'm obsessed with Laird Hamilton. I mean, what man isn't? He's just like the ultimate guy. His ankle's crazy weird. Have you ever seen his ankle? <laughs> no, I haven't. You ever meet Laird Hamilton? Look at his ankle. I saw it on Rogan and I couldn't... I was like... Oh, sometimes you should go to a doctor. Um, so you get all your sponsors. Do you have an agent? I don't. So they I just don't. call you up. June shines like I've Yo. done everything by myself, and that's been interesting. Um, but that's. How I wonder I've if done an agent it. would fuck that up or make it better. I've been always a little hesitant, um, but I'm I'm open to getting an agent. I'm just I just really feel like it has to be the right person because what I do is just so not mainstream. Like I don't really fall into mm. one neat little category that I think a lot of agents are used to. You know, like a lot of times, even with. These, these sponsors and these teams, it's like, I'll get put on like the pro surf team, but it's like, I'm not a pro surfer. I'm this spearfishing girl, you know, that's doing something totally different. And so I think it's um a unique thing to market and I'd love to have the right agent helping me, but um, and I'm not going to just sign with, with anyone who doesn't get it because I do feel like it would fuck everything up. It would, well, I think a lot of you, a lot of it, what it would take was you explaining to them how to get it. Yeah, I don't think they'd get it at first. Right. Even even me with not so much my agents and managers, but with people that I bring on my team, they don't get certain things that I just go, yeah, but that's that's not me. That exactly rubs me wrong. Exactly. Like um, like like perfect example. We do. I do. Um, I I tell everyone to go to a bar after the show usually, and uh, and we drink. Mm-hmm. And so then this one person on my team was like, "Hey, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that with this bar. This bar said they'll open up." And they're going to charge a ten dollar cover, which you get to keep. And I was like, "No, yeah, that's not that's not what this is about. Exactly, this isn't about making money. It's about yeah. being there for people that really appreciate what I do, right. and letting them hang out and tell me, take a picture, or tell me whatever they want to tell me, yeah. and you know, um, yeah, I think that's ex- so important. You know, for all these companies that I just named, that you know, I have relationships with. Like, there's so just so many I said no to because it's just like sorry like i know that sounds like success but 
that is not me. And I, it would crush my soul to pretend that it is, you know, I just, um, and so, yeah, I think as long as someone gets that or you can communicate that it's, it's important because I do think what you say no to is just as important, maybe even more than what you say yes to. And it has to be authentic to who you truly are. I think that's one thing I learned about my journey is that I always have to kind of reevaluate and say, is this completely authentic to who I am? Is what I'm doing, you know, really serving me? And again, it doesn't matter if you're hanging out with superstars or skateboarding with your gallon of milk. Like, like the answer is something only you can answer. And um, and it might not make sense as according to like society. But I still think if you follow that inner pull, it's going to lead you to to some form of success and happiness. Do you feel do you feel like you are in a place now where you go, well, I could do this for the rest of my life? Well, I, I mean, I feel like I feel like everything's always constantly evolving. And so with with all these, you know, sponsors and great opportunities, it's been awesome. I've been able to to travel the world, you know, every single continent, every single ocean. Dive. So, so let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm curious what spearfishing is like around the world. It's um, it's different and, and everywhere. In. And that's what I love about it is because the minute I think like I've got it all figured out, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm in the Arctic about to go ice diving for the first time. And I just realized like, I'm scared all over again. And I don't know really? if I'm ready for this. And all these questions are going through my mind, you know, like, like, cause I'm going to dive in a, in a wetsuit now underneath the ice. And I haven't really heard of people doing that. It's not a dry suit. It's a wetsuit. Like what's going to happen to this exposed part of my face? Is, it Is this you hurt? doing that? That is not me, but you will find there's definitely a lot if you look. Oh, yeah, they thought that was me because um, they're the same photographer that shot me. If you look at Kimmy Warner ice diving, maybe I don't know. Um, but but basically, um, but yeah, all these questions started going through my head. Is it going to hurt? Like what's going to happen to my breath? You know, we, we had set up camp, you know, with tents like an hour away because we're basically at this we're we're on baffin island in, in the arctic at this place called the flow edge and that's basically where our in, inuit friends drag us in these sleds on their snowmobiles out to the flow edge where the ice is breaking off and melting and that's how you can get in the ocean but our camp has to be set up an hour sled ride away because the whole ice shelf could break yeah, and we could be afloat yeah. um and so now i'm thinking like man if i jump in you know and i get too cold and i get out it's still an hour sled ride back to the tent like am i gonna make it all these questions like, how deep can polar bears dive you know, because I see polar bear tracks everywhere and 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 whatnot. Jesus and um, you have my brain. <laughs> I'm up the night before going, okay. But what if, like, what if? Oh my god! But that's what makes it like exciting again. You know, and I mean, even that first day, I was like, okay, you know what? I don't think I'm ready. I have to find out these answers first. I talked to the in- Inuit people. I I learned things. Yeah, that's Antarctica. So that was the bottom of the world. Um, you in Antarctica? Yeah, with the penguin. Oh my god! But um, but yeah, the Arctic pictures are pretty cool. Um, and and yeah, and the next day I went out. Okay, okay, I'm ready. You know, at least I have some answers. Like I have some ideas. I set up a tent 
by the flow edge. We have now a pot that we're going to use a little stove. We're going to boil some snow so that when I come out, at least I can like mix it to a warm temperature, get warm, yeah. dry off in the tent, change for that hour sled ride. I found out that polar bears can actually dive about you know 20 feet and hold their breath for almost two minutes, which isn't the most reassuring thing, but I think I got them beat on that. You just um, go deeper. You just, oh exactly. my God. Just keep going. Can just you imagine? Going. Getting 20 feet down going, is that a fucking polar bear? <laughs> uh. I have to deal with this. And um, and yeah, and then I got in the water and I realized the rest of my, you know, answers was that, yes, it hurts like hell. Like it feels like a million needles are stabbing my face and it feels like the worst ice cream headache of my life. That is the Arctic. Is and that you? Yeah. And that's my like. my first time exploring the deep in the. Yep. That is it. Mid-roll reads. Mid-roll reads. What are they? These are mid-roll reads. This podcast is also brought to you by Shinesty. Isla, do you know what mom said today for our Christmas picture? She's going to get us all Christmas suits at Shinesty, and we're all going to take pictures in a Christmas suit. In like a suit In like a suit suit. Dude, Shinesty is my favorite website. It's my favorite clothing line. It's, it's a clothing line by cool dudes for cool dudes. Is that... That's probably not what they want me to say. Yeah, but, but there's there's you, one question. Shoot. Are you a cool dude? I am a cool dude. <laughs> do you know my do you know my bathing suits? My uh my my um I can't s- one? no the ones that I, that look like jean shorts. Yeah. Th- that's this company. Oh, those are pretty cool. That's what that's <laughs> what I said. I'm telling you right now, Shinesty makes my favorite underwear in the world. They've got these things called a ball hammock. Isla, close your ears. Ew, disgusting. The ball hammock support offers spacious, supportive ball hammock support that gives space and security to the boys, the kind of space and security they need. It's like nothing you've ever experienced. I absolutely love this this ball hammock thing. I run in their underwear. I don't even put pants on over them. I run just in these underwear. These underwear are so comfortable and they kind of pull all your business out away from your body and, and kind of like take it out and hold it up for you, if that makes any sense. I absolutely love these underwear, but more importantly, I love their website. If you are looking for something fun to wear, uh, if you saw the picture of me on Halloween where I looked skinny and I was with uh, my friend Sandy, who's Vietnamese, and I said it was Leanne, that shirt, that Hawaiian shirt I was wearing, that's China Sea. Their Hawaiian shirts are amazing, super comfortable, a little stretchy, and they have a beer holder pocket on the side. That's, I, that's pretty cool. Their, uh, their, sw- their swimwear is hilarious they have the best swimwear in the world uh they have these kimonos isla you stole that kimono you remember the kimono i got the one with leopard yep do you like it oh yeah i do that's shinesty for you they have nfl team suits and overalls christmas suits that's what we're getting and dresses seamless thongs a four-way stretch hawaiian shirt with beer pouch that's what i was talking about retro ski suits and that's just the tip of the icebergs. It's all for guys and gals. Give them a follow on social media. But more importantly, Shinesty is letting my listeners get their first pair of subscription ball hammocks for only five bucks. Head to Shinesty.com slash BurtCast to try your first pair today. That's S-H-I-N-E-S-T-Y dot com slash BurtCast to get your first pair of ball hammock boxers for only five dollars. Trust me. Your balls will thank you, but more importantly, your daughter won't. Your daughter won't. Shinesty, check out the website. You're going to love all the stuff they have. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Blue Apron, which is cooking currently in our kitchen. 
It smells so good. It smells fantastic. I absolutely love Blue Apron. Blue Apron offers flexible menus options with an ever-changing mix of meats, fish, plant-forward, and vegetarian recipes, choosing from a variety of chef-designed recipes, and get perfectly portioned ingredients delivered right to your door. It helps you disconnect from your phone, hang out with your inner chef for just a second, learn some techniques and recipes, and more importantly, for me, connect with my family. Every single night when we have a Blue Apron, the whole family sits down, the the girls try something brand new, and we say, what's the first thing we say, Isla? How, what was your favorite part of the day? What was your favorite part of the day? And then, what was your least favorite part of the day? We should play a prank on mom today. Oh, yeah. What was your least favorite part? I punched this kid out in the hallway and knocked him unconscious. Oh, whoopsies. Felt clean to knock him in the jaw. Anyway, I absolutely love Blue Apron. Blue Apron's probably been the longest sponsor in this podcast, and and it is a staple of our family. We get our Blue Aprons, and the girls have really expanded their palates because of it. Yeah, like, I didn't know I liked the rice patty things, and then I've been craving them lately. For real? Yeah. Um, I had whatever the chicken you guys had last night. Oh, that was that was freaking oh. phenomenal. I came in this morning off my flight, and mom had it, and I heated it up. It's one of the best damn chicken. Was that like a sweet potato chicken? Uh, yeah, and mom put it in like a quesadilla too. Oh my god, cooking isn't a burden. It's actually fun, and you learn new ways to cook. You learn new c- cooking skills, and you you learn how to make new meals. Blue Aprons. Menus are carefully designed and tested by their test kitchen chefs. Blue Apron's menus are carefully designed and tested by their test kitchen chefs and their chefs design recipes, including amazing specialty sauces, premium ingredients, blends that would otherwise be difficult or expensive or way too time consuming to source or make. Blue Apron believes that cooking matters. Don't have it delivered, pre-cooked, or picked up. Cook it once a week or once a month or at least once more than you do now, check out this week's menu and get $60 off. Whoa, $60 off when you visit blueapron.com slash BurtCast. That's blueapron.com slash BurtCast. Blue Apron. <laughs> Just cook. Just cook. Just cook. And let's go eat. You ready to go eat? Yeah, some Blue Apron. Yep, we're going to go eat some Blue Apron. Back to the podcast. I might need another pickle. <laughs> But yeah, but then you, then your head goes numb, and then you have your window to dive. And then I just saw these beautiful creatures right away. If you were to look up um, sea angels, these these little iridescent iridescent like aliens came up to me and just were so beautiful. And I was just mesmerized by this by these things called sea angels. And then I started diving under. Oh, see, aren't those cool? Oh my god! Yeah, and they're just like little alien butterfly saying hello and um and then you dive under aren't they so cute <laughs> and then, oh my god that would blow my mind right and so then all of a sudden you're just like you're you're in this land this magical place the pain's not hurting you anymore you're just looking at that diving under the ice and just seeing all the different colors and shapes and 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 i turn around and narwhals swim by narwhals are real narwhals, they're real they're That's real the, I, no. I was i was I was with my daughters in Bali, and, and I saw a video of Norwals, and I was like, "Hey, Norwals are real!" It's and crazy they were like, how many people said that. Yeah. Georgia was like, Georgia said, my oldest goes, "I can't believe you're my dad." <laughs> and she's like, "You just found out they're real." I go, "That's the weirdest." You saw Norwals? Yes. Shut so, up. So yeah, talk about rainbows and unicorns that day. Like it was everything. Um, absolutely everything. 
They're just, they're crazy. Their, their tusk, their unicorn horn is like eight feet long. Like they're big animals. Yeah. Um, but they're just so beautiful. So cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so, so yeah, so I, so really it's been, it's been quite an adventure, um, being able to travel and see all these things. And it really, I think has kept my, my passion quite refreshed because it just, it keeps me, keeps me curious, keeps me, you know, keeps me curious, keeps me scared, keeps me all of these things that, that, um, have been amazing. Um, and, and yeah. And then, you know, recently I also found out that I'm pregnant and yeah, so congratulations. thank you. So now I just feel like, okay, here's a whole nother turn of the evolution. That's here's a whole nother adventure. Yeah. And so, um, and it's cool because, you know, when I found out, you know, I went to the doctor, I took a pregnancy test at home and then I, I went to the doctor, you go there and you confirm it, you know, you take a pregnancy test there to make it official. Yeah. And as soon as she said, like, okay, yes, you're definitely pregnant. Um, and I said, okay, so I've got this gig coming up, this this job that I said yes to. She's like, when is it? I said, November. I, I'm due in January. She's, and she's just like already kind of shaking her head. She's like, where is it? I'm like, oh, it, it's back in the Arctic, you know? And she's just like looking at me. I'm like, I'll be staying on a boat. She's like, why are you going up there? I'm like, to free dive the, you know, in the Arctic. She's like, why? And I was like, to swim with killer whales. And You're doing that? I did it last year, but I was going to do, I got a, a job offer, a paid job offer to go do it again. And and as soon as I said that, she's just like, no, 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 no. Ab what? Like, absolutely not. Like, You're not getting on a plane and even leaving this country at that point. You're not going to the Arctic and living on a boat. You're not going free diving in these icy waters and you're not going to swim with killer whales. And when she said that, I was just like, Cool, cool, fine. Yeah. I was just asking, just asking. Just asking. And, and it was neat because I think that was when I knew, like, I think I'm ready because I really didn't even have a regret. I mean, and that was what the trip I was looking forward to most this whole year. Yeah. But I also did it already. And and it was the most yeah. amazing experience ever swimming with those crazy killer. Well, that was freaky, man. My that buddy, was really cool. My buddy John Manns just did it in... Uh, I want to say, in, I don't know, somewhere in Norway. Norway, yeah, Was it Norway, yeah. And um, he he did it, and it looked spectacular. It is so crazy. One thing he said, kept, they kept saying was, "Don't get caught up in the krill," right? Because, like, is that right? Like, well, when they're in hunting mode, yeah. it's just insane. <clears throat> like, they, it's just like <laughs> they are so fast, and they're swimming in all directions. Like, it. it it's pretty crazy. Like at first, you know, we would just kind of jump in and <clears throat> these pods of orcas would pass us by and we'd just be like, whoa, like those are the apex predators of the world. Of the world. Of the world. Like they, they, they eat great white sharks. I heard you the know? story of they, one of them attacked they a great can. white shark off the coast of somewhere in San, like near San Francisco. And they said all the great whites left. They were like, all oh the, yeah, they, they know who the king is. That's for sure, that's, and, and it's but, the orca. But for some reason, orcas are cool around people. Orcas are really cool around people. I mean, you know, and that's and as much as you hear that, it still is you know intimidating to to get in the water because you, I also you know my friend um, my friend Perrin one time jumped in with orcas in Panama and he said that they're just like crunching turtles just for fun, just just crunching them and watching, letting them sink every once in a while, going down and grabbing their guts and intestines and swirling them around and playing with them and then letting them sink. And, um, and so, you know, you hear stories like that and it still makes you feel a little crunching them just for fun. Just crunching them. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
must feel good on their teeth or something. But like, you know, there are there are different um, species of orcas and some are mammal eaters and and some are fish eaters. So the ones in Norway at least are the fish eaters. What about what about um, I'm trying to by the way, I'm pitching you a business plan for me. So what about when you have the baby, right? Right. <laughs> you set up like a high-end spearfishing guides where people can go out with you for the day. And when they pay good and you take them out spearfishing. <laughs> you like, oh, I'm just setting this up so that I can go spearfishing with you. We could definitely go spearfishing together. I want to together. go spearfishing with you so you, bad, but I think I have a lot to do. I have to already do. told you that. I know, I know. but I But I feel like I have a lot to do to get there. No, like I feel like I feel no, like no, no. Like I've I've held little you know spearfishing retreats in Bali where I've had. Groups. We just got back from Bali. It's wonderful. Yeah, oh, it's great. It's really nice there. We floated that. Like they took us out to see. I told you I'm bad with names. I can tell you everywhere in Hawaii because I love sharing Hawaii with people. I, I I'm obsessed with Hawaii, but like we went out to some island uh, off the coast mm-hmm. this little island that everyone goes to and we kind of floated this reef right and it was it was awesome my wife my wife has a very 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 big connection with snorkeling it sounds so silly when we first met we were talking about like what we loved it she's like i love snorkeling and snorkeling Aww. was such a thing in growing up in florida that you were like it's kind of what tourists did right. they snorkel so you're like yeah you you dive down. I mean, we didn't consider it snorkeling. Right. Oh, it's like I could snorkel for hours. I just I love, love the name. It just sounds so dorky when yeah, you just right? say it, like snorkel, like snorkel as and, a vo- as a verb. But yeah, I love snorkeling. And too. she, and the f- for one one of the f- when we first got married, no, we're, yeah, when we first got married, she was so wanted to go find places to snorkel. That's awesome. Snorkeling. And my daughters love snorkeling. And so when we went, my we floated this reef, and my wife was the happiest. She had ever just so happy ear to ear. It was such a great day. Bali's gorgeous. It is. It yeah. is. And yeah, I, I've held like a couple of like these spearfishing like retreats there where seriously, like the whole group that I get, they're like complete beginners. Some of them even had like traumatic experiences in the water. And so I really like, I think because my whole learning experience, if you really think about it, I mean, Talk about Karate Kid. Like, if I'm a teacher, I'm Mr. Miyagi. Like, you're going to wax on, wax off for a very long time before you even touch a spear, you know? And that's how I like to do it. Because if you think about my life, I was a tag along for years before I touched a spear. Then I had this whole gap of regular life. Then I'm 24. By the first time I touch, you know, my sword or whatever, you know, and, and step into my calling. And so if you think... I would rather just put a spear gun in your hand and watch you go. Mm-mm. I'm going to be like, oh, you are learning how to spearfish, Bert. Like, yeah. you know, that's what, that's what I did with my boyfriend. My boyfriend's from Minnesota. No. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? Um, and we met on the road. He was a snowboarding cinematographer. You know, we we hit it off, fell in love. Basically, um, he ended up moving to Hawaii to start a life with me. And um yeah, there's not much snow in Hawaii, so there goes his career. Yeah. Um, but but it turns out that now you know I I taught him how to free dive, and now he's like one of the best free diving cinematographers, and um and he's this wow. boy from Minnesota. But it did not, it wasn't a sudden thing. It was very very Mr. Miyagi. It was like, well, first we're going to swim, you know, and and just that's like in, all just we're like in the North do. Shore, exactly. When he takes him out, and he yeah. goes. 
first we're going to swim YMA. And he's exactly. like, exactly. That's what, what we did. That's yeah. it, I mean, that's see, it's relevant. And, um, and we're going to, you know, work on your ears, things like that. We're going to work on your, you know, your form. I don't care how deep you're going. If, if you look like, you know, if you look like a monkey, it's not nice. It's not yeah. good. And, um, and then we're going to just go to these like marine reserves, you know, places where you don't even spear fish. And we're just going to study the fish and we're going to study their body language. Then I'm going to start to test you. What fish is this? That one that swam up to you. Was it big enough to shoot or was it too small? You know, I want, and it's like, we took such a long time. Um, But I mean, but now I put a a spear in the boy's hand, he can get dinner, you know, but for the most part, that's my job. And he'd rather have a camera in his hand, which is way cool because what I ended up doing without knowing it is I ended up like taking this guy and like molding him from scratch, you know, because he didn't even grow up by an ocean. So he had no previous experience, but therefore no bad habits. And I kind of just molded him into the perfect cinematographer who understands exactly how I move, how I hunt, how not to mess up any of my shots. I can just like, you don't talk underwater. I can look at him. He knows where to be, where to line up, what angle to get, you know? And, And it's just like, and then before I do it, I had this great cinematographer and now we could team up and like really get stuff done together. But, um, but yeah, but the moral of the story is in order, I think for you to get good, like I believe in learning slowly, learning everything, not skipping steps. You start with a three prong before you even start with a spear gun. You know, that's my rule. So my um, goal is, my goal is my goal in my spear fishing journey at 55, I'm 46 right now at 55. I'm going to be a very different man than I am today. I'm going to be a lot skinnier. I've planned on that already. I will be in bottomless ocean, diving down 100 feet, and I'm going to spear a tuna who's going to take me for a ride for like for like a mile <laughs> until he until, like I'm like I just have this like vision of like these like me, like this real Ernest Hemingway esque man yes. in the sea where I fight this tuna and I fight the sharks off to get the tuna back to the boat and when I get back to the boat a storm comes in <laughs> and I make it to sh- like but I I like I fantasize about it it just seems so cool it is so cool it is so cool um can you spearfish tuna I do but just so you know um. When you spearfish tuna, you're you're set up totally differently because you don't want a tuna. I, I I've had mahis, I have had I've had wahoos, you know, other things like that. Like they can take you for a ride. You don't want a tuna to take you for a ride. Why? Because tuna's sound. Tuna's their way of fighting is they just go down. And so your ride is not going to involve, <laughs> that's called dying. And so yeah. basically when you're going to spearfish tuna, what you do <laughs> is you set up your gun a little differently. Yeah. You can still dive a hundred feet and shoot one. That part. Is that where they live? That's where I got my first one. Yeah. Wait, so tell me about your first tuna. Tell my, me about my your first, first tuna. tuna was in Cabo and um Oh my god, you were in Cabo? Yeah. Oh, what a great play. Okay, keep going. And it was with the Rife International team and basically um yeah, we were there looking for tuna, but they just weren't, I mean, they were in, but they were just too deep. Like they were like deeper than you can go free diving and there's all this murk and thermocline. You couldn't see them, you know. So you're just diving down and waiting and whatnot. And um, do you know, how do you know you're at 100 feet? Do you have a watch that tells yeah. you? Okay, keep, yeah. keep going. Keep and, going um, and so sometimes you just drop a little chum and you, and you go down and nothing. And finally, on the last day of the trip, when everybody was about to give up, it was like day 10 and we were totally skunked. Um, yeah, I, I ended up I ended up just like 
taking this drop and just saying, I'm just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I went to, it was actually 98 feet. I remember exactly, but I went to 98 feet. And all of a sudden, I just, it was like seeing a unicorn. It was, you know, it was before my normal experience. So this was always my unicorn. I had never seen a yellowfin tuna underwater. And I just saw it swim by and then another one was coming. And, um, and yeah, and I, and I shot, that was a, it was, I think 130 pounds, that fish. Um, it's bigger than you. That was my first, you get, first tuna. And, um, and, but basically the way you do it is, is you, your shaft of your gun, you know, the arrow or whatever you want to call it, it, it goes out the spear. It, it goes through the tuna. There's a shooting line that's usually connected to your gun. So normally when you shoot a fish, you're connected and you fight your fish up. With the tuna, again, you don't want to do that. It's going to sound. So when you're going for tuna, your shooting line, instead, it's connected to a bungee, a 100-foot bungee, and it's connected to floats. And so when you shoot your spear, it completely detaches from your spear gun. So now you have to hold on to your spear gun, but uh-huh. it's not connected to anything. You go back up for air. That tuna sounds down hundreds and hundreds of feet. That bungee stretches to the point where you think it's going to snap because those tunas are so, so this, strong. So you, you, as you swim up, you see that little buoy. As you swim up, yeah, you you see your buoys. I you need buoys. Um, if you're gonna go for big fish, like you need a couple of buoys, and you see your first one just go underwater. And if it was just one, sometimes it would just keep going. I have seen that happen, and that's really sad. But um, so now I use two with another bungee in between them, and so you see that first one go down, and your second one will tombstone, just stand straight up, and then you're you're you just took a long. Is this run. your tuna? Yeah, that was a little bigger one later. That wasn't my um, first one. That was that a, that's such a, a 163 fish. pound yellowfin. Oh, such a good feeling. Um, but but yeah, and then and then you go to your buoys, and then it's just a fight. So you still get to fight your fish, but you still get to breathe. Which so is you're 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 holding on to the buoys, swimming them back to the boat. So you're not swimming them back to the boat. You you go to your buoys, and um and you just grab that bungee. You can even like flop over a buoy if you want to i i normally don't but i you just grab that bungee and you just start fighting and you just start pulling and it's hard like that's a that's a big heavy fish yeah and it's pulling down and you're pulling up so it's still pulling you underneath like don't get me wrong like that's why sometimes people just like lay on their buoys and fight it because when you're doing it it's still going to be pulling you underneath but you're not attached to it and so that's good and so you're fighting and you're fighting and fighting your arms are burning your adrenaline's going and basically how far is the boat from you the boat can can at this time they're usually coming right next to you and watching the action and yeah. cheering you on and 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 whatnot and um and, and then you fight this tuna up to whatever depth that you can dive to if you can dive a hundred feet at this point in in your game you can cut that in half because you're so exhausted yeah. and you're so pumped up that you cannot hold your breath anymore and so as you fight this thing up and then you clip you take your your there's a clip on your buoy you clip off wherever you're fighting it to so now that fish is at 50 feet and then you ask your boat for a backup gun just a little reef gun because now your job is to swim down and shoot that fish in the brain yeah what's that what's that called what's that called when you brain a fish people call it a a stone shot stone shot stoning it it, yeah, yeah. yeah And so, but so basically, your second shot—that wasn't my first. Those are my boys. Um, and um, yeah, that's it. But but basically, yeah. Then you go down, and that fish sees you, and it's doing these circles. And you have to be careful because 
it's really dangerous. Like, like that line, that bungee can get wrapped around you because all tunas do is they do these circles when they sound. And so they're doing these circles. And if you're going out at the wrong angle, you can get wrapped up in your line. And then if that fish just decides to sound again, you're, you're gone. Down. And so you go down and you try and get a good angle. You know, it already has a spear in it and you just want to put it out and shoot it in the brain and then you can swim it up. Oh my God. Yeah. Is that the best fish? Is that like the th most thrilling fish to catch i know I, there's a my fourth favorite spear fisher person is this guy riley in the bahamas yeah he's uh and i he just he seems to be so obsessed with it i mean it it's just it's it's amazing it is such an exciting thing because in order to do it i mean there's so much stuff leading up to it like to get in with a school of tuna it, it's a whole crazy thing of its own like a lot of times you know first you have to look at the birds you know you have to be looking at the birds and what they're doing and the birds are going to tell you you know where the bait fish are and and oftentimes then you're jumping in with the dolphins and you're like you know for me i'm just like hey i'm trying to always be cool with the dolphins because where the dolphins are the tuna are and so if the dolphins let you swim with them you can find the tuna and then after a while swimming with these cool dolphins you have to say goodbye to them and leave and go into the depth and just go again into that darkness into that thermocline into all of that and to the point where you want to turn back and then all of a sudden you see these golden sickles it's just like yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Um, it's really it's really awesome and and it tastes really good. Have so. you ever have you ever had a real sketchy situation with a shark coming after your your what you shot? Oh, I've definitely had um sketchy situations, but you know, it, it's just so crazy like this thing takes over and you after a while this kind of this predator instinct where you're just like it's not even like a lot of times it's not even like, oh, I feel so sketched out for my own safety, but it's just like, oh, how no are you going to take this fish? Like, <laughs> yeah. I just worked my butt off for this thing. Like, you don't get to cheat and steal. You go get your own dinner. This one's mine. And so before yeah. you know it, you are just protecting your prey as any animal in the wild would, you know, and you're just trying to fight off this predator from stealing your food. Is yeah. there a fish you haven't seen that you're the, in the water where you're like, you know, I've never seen a. I mean, I, I've actually, I've never, I've, I've gone diving in Alaska a couple of times, but I've never seen a salmon, which I think would be pretty cool. <laughs> Just like weird stuff like that. Like it would be really fun to, um, to shoot a salmon. But, um, I mean, there's definitely a fish. I've never gone diving in Florida. What? Yeah, never. I haven't. I don't know how, but oh my I've got the Bahamas, so a lot of the same fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. I wonder if there's diving in the Gulf. There's no reefs in the oh, Gulf. Oh, no, the Gulf is amazing. Really? You can kind of see a... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. If you look at my Instagram, oh, yeah, there's, um, there's actually a cool clip of diving the oil rigs of Louisiana. Um, oh, we gonna, almost... There's this place that you need to dive in North Carolina. It's called the Frying Pan. Yeah, Do you know I've what I'm heard. No, about? I've heard of it. I've you can never stay out there, North Carolina. But I've definitely. Um, I can hook you. So up with that, that is it right there. Um, Where? To the oh right. yeah, to the right. Oh, I think I watched this video. Keep going. Yeah, so I don't. Yeah, I did watch it. I don't shoot a fish in this one, but that that's is that your boyfriend shooting? No, this is my friend Perrin. He's an amazing cinematographer. Yeah, make it smaller, Halston. <laughs> but look at that ecosystem you know um he he ended up you know going up parent but i stayed down and i shot a cobia my 
first cobia on this trip really? and they're tasty where would you want to shoot where would you want to uh where would you want to um uh spearfish in the gulf where would be like ideal well i just i really when you go out of galveston or whatever just the, the oil rigs and the different sea mounts out there just hold a lot what of life out of off of florida i don't know um i need to i need to learn more about florida God. I have so many friends in Florida that boats. Yeah. That's all I have. Is, uh, the one thing I can get you in Florida is Coke and uh, <laughs> and boats. <laughs> Weed's kind of hard to come by, but Coke and boats. <laughs> helpful. Yeah, yeah, super helpful. I know you. That's why work done didn't want to be friends with me. He's a football <laughs> player. So, um, but yeah, that's, I, that's Florida is somewhere. I would love to be able to. Uh, we One of the things that I think you'd absolutely love in Florida, which. I would like I, my dream scenario is to be able to like just hook you up with people that I know where I go, oh, take her out and do this is swimming with manatees in Florida. Oh, that would be Crystal so River. cool. Crystal River manatees. I would love to do that. It is that so gorgeous, Kimmy. It is like oh, that the most beautiful fun. things I've, one of the most beautiful things I've ever done in my life is Crystal River during the winter. This isn't great, but there's like a nuclear plant or a, mm-hmm. a plant there. And it pumps out hot, warm water. And so the manatees all kind of go right. up river. And Crystal River is, can you find an image of it, Halston? It's absolutely gorgeous. It is like white sands, the clearest water you've ever been in your life, and just, and vegetation around and big, big sinkholes, like big. Amazing. Look at this. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, I have seen pictures of this. It is out of this world. And the manatees, you can just swim with them. That is so cool. I know. It really is. We took a family in there. Oh, my God. And went swimming with manatees. It was outrageous. Okay, yeah, that I would love to do. No, Because honestly, every time, yeah, I have been flown into Florida, we've just gotten on and planning on straight to the Bahamas. And I cannot complain about that. But, um, but this great. crystal. Oh, crystal River, my yeah. gosh. That. Looks and there's amazing. really deep, you can go really there's really deep uh parts of it it was really great that's I, so cool yeah i'm on i'm on tour in florida in the oh next year shit i haven't I've, i'm supposed to announce these tour dates um yeah th- i i i'm i'm so happy that i met you i really am i i've you you inspired look i may never go spearfishing in my life but what it has done it's many nights it's gotten me out of like being in my head and being in a bed, just watching. I've watched so many freaking videos it's of so people spearfishing. I've watched it. so many videos of you that literally it inspires me when I go, when we go places like Bali, where I, I got to be honest with you, I'm nervous going, mm-hmm. when they go, we're going to float the reef for a mile. I go. Well, the currents are really crazy there. There's good reason to be nervous for oh, sure. Good. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you didn't <laughs> tell me that before I went. But like I, I say to myself, you know, I get nervous and I get in the water. It's so funny. Like you, I feel when you said you were comfortable with your dad being in the water, you knew nothing bad was going to happen. It's going to sound really crazy. <laughs> I get comfortable when my daughters are in the water because mm-hmm. I know that if something happened, I then have to jump in front of the shark. So like, right. if it's just me, I'm terrified of how I get away. Yeah. But I know if my daughters are there and a shark shows up, That's so true. I know that I then have a calling. Like, yeah. I'm not scared of my daughters in the water. My daughters have no fear of the water whatsoever. And they just jump in. 
and and I'm telling you, I I definitely probably thought of you a hundred times when we were when we were floating the reef because I thought, you know, it's so you, the life you live and the and the and 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 now hearing the story of the first time you went spear fishing and how you just didn't know what you were doing and you mm-hmm. felt nervous, so great. I I there's so much to this podcast that I hope people draw from where they go. Maybe it's not spear fishing. Maybe it's exactly. dirt bikes. Maybe it's maybe it's hunting. Maybe it's you know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's growing marijuana. Like whatever, whatever, whatever it is. I, I I completely agree with that. It's just about yeah. I think sometimes we just get caught into this, you know, this this realm of just society of just doing what we think we're supposed to do and being on autopilot. And um and a lot of times it's like if you just leave your comfort zone and you just try that thing, that passion, whatever it is that's calling you. Um, yeah, it's amazing what it can open up for you. And hey, I think we don't give ourselves enough permission to do that. Where did you go spearfishing in Malibu? Um, Leo Carrillo, I think it's is the wow. name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which Just, might be a sanctuary now. But I don't you, know. I think it is actually. Uh-huh. I, it's so funny. But back then it wasn't. I've, yeah. I met a guy, I won't say his name, but I met a guy who spearfishes off malibu and when you do that do you go out in a boat or do you just swim out kayak again so yeah the way the nationals worked is just like you get you get in your kayak this horn blows you then paddle your butt off and um go to all your spots and hope that the fish are still there and then you have six hours to be back and you and it's whoever catches them and so it's a point system set up you know there's it's like a there's a species list of, of the species that you're allowed to catch. Of course, there's bag limits for everything, size limits for everything. And then it's one point per fish, one point per pound with a max of like of 15 pounds, meaning you can shoot a fish bigger than that, but you're not going to win the whole thing. So you, basically, yeah. like in Rhode Island, I shot a, a 33 pound striped bass, but that fish is only worth 16 points. It's the same as if I had shot a 15 pound striped bass. And they make that rule just so that you can't shoot one big fish and win it all. You have to have the skill to find different fish, different species and whatnot. And so, yeah, so that's how it works. It's pretty fun. I mean, I I got, you know, I got over it because I, I found myself kind of chasing something that was taking away a passion. But even when I talk about it, there is a part of the- That's overwhelming. And how many many different- national events did you compete in i only did two united states national championships and then i did a lot of international meets and um, where were those at um in tahiti in new caledonia and um and they'd come to hawaii as well but okay that's say really say cool. i say i do this say i go oh, god i wish this baby's really messing up my plans kimmy <laughs> so um <laughs> say i go with you i learn how to spearfish and then I got one trip in the world to go spearfishing. Okay. Because Tahiti sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. where would I want to go that's, like, really outrageous? Not too deep, good fun. Oh, gosh. There's a lot of really, yeah, really then good Give me five. Spots. Okay, well, I, I really like Panama a lot. A lot. Because I feel like you get, like, the Gulf of Cherokee, you just get so much of of so many great worlds there's there's great reef fish that you can go to inshore and yet the tuna come in so you could try your hand at um at spearfishing yellowfin tuna really? which is okay. awesome panama put that panama on the list is awesome um 
Yeah, there's definitely just places in Mexico that are just so sick, like filled with big pargo and snappers and whatnot. Um, Africa is great. So East Africa, Africa, if you go to um, Tanzania and then to to Tanzania and then go to Zanzibar. I was in Zanzibar. And then you meet up with this guy. His name is Eric Allard. And um, and he'll take you out on a boat to these atolls that are like you have to take like a, a day or so to get there amazing i mean that probably is like so those over there you not only have these these great reefs and so many great beautiful reef fish but you have dog tooth tuna and when you ask me like you know is yellowfin like the pinnacle for you i i have to say doggies oh man um, if you look up dog tea tuna, Google it, Halston. Or yeah, I was holding one of those, but you can just look up the fish itself because they're they're they look like tuna, um, but look at those teeth. You oh know? my god! Look at, look at those teeth. They're just insane, and um, they're just like these prehistoric looking fish that um, they're not really like like they're not really supposed to be like a true tuna, but they 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 taste like. A, a love child the meat is like a mixture between wahoo and tuna so it's like really really good but they have the strongest fight i would say per pound like they are gnarly they're like a they're also the fight wise they're like a, a giant trevally and a yellowfin tuna had a baby and so not only will that fish sound but it's also a reef fish. So it, it will sound and go bash its head and everything against rocks and whatever and destroy all your gear and, and bend the crap out of your spear, run into caves, do whatever it wants. Like it, they are gnarly fish and they're delicious. And, um, and yeah, and Africa's a good spot to get some big ones. And so, God, so that's a good one for sure. Yeah. So we got Panama, Mexico, Zanzibar. Um, there's these South Islands of Japan called like 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 kind of you know Amami and whatnot. You have to kind of get permission though from like the local fishing council there. You have to really kind of get in with with the Japanese people and get um, permission. But over there, oh man, it's pretty excellent there. They're, they're again just good reef fish, nice big doggies too. And um, I, I went swimming with whale sharks in Japan. Whale sharks? Yeah, whale yeah, sharks. Yeah, whale sharks are yeah. really cool. And then um and then one cool thing too. I mean, I don't know, this depends depends totally what you're looking for. But I would say like, yeah, in, in the Gulf off of Louisiana, that's pretty cool. In Texas, like totally different different zone. But yeah. diving those rigs, I mean, you saw how many fish there were. That was ridiculous. When we were out at the frying pan, we were gonna go scuba diving, but the currents were really bad. And so we couldn't get in the right. water. Yeah. And and in order to get down, you and the winds were bad. There was a big storm coming in. And in order at the frying pan to get down to the water, they had to lower you in like a, a swing. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We stayed out there for two nights, three nights. That's so crazy. Just yeah. Shot I've seen photos of that. That's that's a trip. Bert frying pan is a really attractive photo of me out there. But um, but yeah, that's um. Oh, that's I'm but yeah, but also like you know, Norway, like it's just neat to shoot different fish. Like I I've shot Arctic cod over there and it's just a crazy to be shooting the like these crazy cold water Arctic fish and then you come up and it's like snowing. So I really like, there's just such a variety out there and I think um yeah, it's just you know, different places of Indonesia are amazing. There's just there's so many, so many cool places. Best um what's your favorite island? I've been to Fiji, I've been to Bali, but like, what's your favorite island that isn't Hawaii uh-huh. that like 
when you when you look at like Tahiti, Bora Bora, all that area. Yeah. What's your favorite island where you're like, that is everything you've ever wanted in an island? Pico Island, Azores. In the Azores? Yeah. Pico Island. Mm-hmm. Halston, write that down. Pico Island yeah, in the Azores. I love it there. Really? I do. I just, I love it there. And it's not even like, oh, it has the best spearfishing ever or anything like that. But to me, it's just like, it's like Hawaii in a lot of ways because it's like these volcanic rocks and beautiful lush mountains. But then it's like, it's like old Europe in a lot of ways. It cobbled because it's, it's Portugal. It's part of, so it's like the Azores are like um, off the coast of Portugal, but far off the coast. They're like, they're like us. They're like in the middle of the Atlantic in the same way we're in the middle of the Pacific. Um, but it's, it's a Portuguese um group of islands and so you can just go there and drink great wine you know just straight from the grapes and just like talk to like beautiful old portuguese people and at the same time go spear fishing and come out with like your they call it lapas and what we call them opihi it's just like these limpets that you can get off the rocks and eat them and and fish and whatnot so i would say that's pretty pretty darn amazing and then another one would be um dominica um which is this, this, this island in the Caribbean where there's sperm whales, which are freaking super cool. Like, really? Yeah. There's a. <laughs> where, pull me, give me up. Pull something up. There's thing. a picture of me on my. I, I don't want you to have to look for it too long because it was a while ago. But there's a picture of me at Dominica where this sperm whale swam up to me on the surface, um, flipped upside down, and opened its mouth and showed me all its teeth. And it's a pretty freaky looking thing. But um, but then when I got out of the water, I was with some scientists, like, and I told them what happened. They're just like, oh, that's so interesting. And what happened is they said I was directly in its like line of where it was going, and their heads are so big. They have the biggest heads on the planet that it just couldn't see me with both eyes at the same time. So it had to flip upside down because it so because it's top of its head is so big. It flipped upside down so it could see me with both eyes. And then their hearing comes from the inside. So it opened its mouth just to listen to me and then it went on its way. But oh my God. yeah, but sperm whales are pretty darn cool. Um it's it's an old one and it's just like an all blue picture. But yeah, but if you zoom in it's a sperm whale so what's, down. what's the future hold for you so i think right now the future holds staying put in hawaii for for a bit i mean obviously i'm still traveling a little here and there and doing stuff like this but um but we just we just bought a house and um just trying to move in and nest and um and i just i'm really excited for for the adventure of being a mom you know i'm really really happy with with my home and um and looking forward to spending more time there and and being able to just you know keep diving keep getting food being a mama bear and um how and, long up until how long can you free dive I mean, they told tell you they don't know so <laughs> sorry <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of us doing it yeah. so no one's got any research yeah, so I'm just trying to listen to my body yeah. and and trust it um and i feel like i feel like I'll, I'll kind of know when it's like okay this isn't feeling right anymore or i'm just like not able to physically do this you yeah, know and in the yeah. meantime i'm i'm still going and i'm still spring fish and i'm still doing my thing i'm definitely you know not trying to push myself i'm not not trying to prove anything yeah. um but that's my form of exercise and that's form of that's my form of happiness and meditation and whatnot. And I feel like it, it's kind of gotta be good for me. Um yeah. so so I'm just 
I'm just still doing it. Oh, that's awesome. Do you know if you're having a boy or a girl? I don't know, but I'll find out in two weeks. So I'm like, so you're still, are you, I'm 16 weeks. So oh, it's really? so weird. I start talking in weeks all of a sudden, but I'm, so I'm four months and, um, and 13 then, weeks is the, is the like, all right, you're having a baby. <laughs> I think that, yeah, yeah. 12 weeks is like, okay, you can start telling people because yeah, 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 it's yeah. probably going to happen. Um, and then, but yeah, so I, I'm at 16 and then at 18 in two weeks, we can find out if it's a boy or girl. Do you, do you know what you do? You, you know, I kind of like, I always imagined my whole life. I imagined myself for whatever reason, having a boy. I don't know why. And then as soon as I took that pregnancy test and I found that I was pregnant, I'm just like, you're a girl, aren't you? And and so I just can't, I feel like it's a girl, but I have, that's just a guess. I was at a party, a bar, bar mitzvah last night and uh, I haven't been drinking much. And um, last night I was like, I'm going to have a drink and I'll get high and then I'll and then I'll just ride it out. Because if I get high, I get wasted really easily. Right. So then I'm like, oh, and then you I drink just less. To, yeah, right? I drink less. So I go, I have a I have a tequila on the rocks. I go down, I take a hit of this brand new uh vaporizer I have, which is absolutely amazing. I love this fucking vaporizer. <laughs> you put the weed in and it just burns the crystals on the of the marijuana, not the plant. So you're not like it's it's good for your lungs. And I love love this goddamn uh... thing. So I come in. I, and I and I realized I'd taken a little too big of a hit, and I'm a little high, higher than I thought I'd be. And this guy goes, "Yeah, we want to have a kid, but I don't know if I can have a daughter." And I, I must have talked his fucking ear off on the beauty of having girls. Good. And I was like, "No, I used to want boy." And I and I and then halfway through, I realized he's just looking at me like, "Dude, I just said I, I mean, like, I didn't want to get into a conversation about it. I must have talked to him for a half an hour, and then." All through my Instagram stories, it's me videotaping my daughters going, I love having daughters. Oh, my God. <laughs> daughters are daughters are a lot of fun. They're ball breakers. Mine yeah. are. Mine are ball breakers. And it's and I and and this is how we'll end this interview. Um, and it has been eye-opening as their father. I look for women like you who are inspirational, especially to young girls who don't know you can be the most badass spearfishing person out there. And that you can win national championships. They don't that to meet someone like you, to watch videos of you. I like they've we've watched so I, so many of your videos. For then you to walk in my house and my daughters to look at you and go, well, that's a real person. I it's, think. It, I mean, I I think there has to be something to be said about having dads like you too, because um, I I feel like I do what I do because I had. A dad who, you know, for lack of better words, raised me like a boy, you know, and by that I just mean raised me as an equal. Like raised that's all it really means. Yeah, yeah. didn't that look he, at you he and go. Didn't treat me differently because I'm a girl. He didn't make the world limited, to, you know, for me because I was a girl. And because um, everyone would say, "Oh, your dad raised you like a boy," but it's like actually he was just raised me like a human. And um, and all you know, his all his dive partners weren't really stoked on him bringing his little daughter w- with him at first, but he did it because he 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 saw that it was fine and yeah. he saw that it was good and you know and um and now he take he just loves taking all the credit now, which which he deserves because um I think it was because of him that you know I really got got this like opportunity in a way that that a lot of other girls maybe didn't get like one lesson that I learned is just um 
when you know when I was in competing when I was competing and stuff, and then all these other girls started getting into spear fishing and whatnot, and then um, and then it became a thing where you know like locally where they're like we want women's divisions and stuff like that. I was talking to my sister and I was just like, oh, like I don't want a women's division, and I was like. I don't, you know, I'm like, I just want to be a diver. I like putting my wetsuit on, putting my hood on, not being a boy, not being a girl, just being a diver. I don't want to be better than the boys. I don't want to be good for a girl. I just want to be a diver. And like, why are we going to have women's division so that like three of us can enter and we can all go home with a trophy? Like, that's bullshit. Like, come on. Like, let's just all like to empower women. Let's just compete, you know, as humans, as divers. And then my sister, she just looked at me and she's like, oh, that must be nice for you to say. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, Kimmy, she's like, do you understand what kind of dad we had? And she's like, do you know any other dads that raised us the way that he did? And she's like, besides us, can you think of any other little girl who their dad took them diving, took them spearfishing? And I thought back to those days, I'm like, no. She's like, how many boys can you think of? And I was like, damn. And she's like, you know, or, or even if it wasn't, she's like, later on, when he got older, did you see any other little girls where their uncles were taking them or somebody was taking them? I was yeah. like, no. And she just kept going on and on. And, and then by the time she was done and she's like, so basically you had an opportunity that most women never had. You were exposed to the ocean and to somebody believing in you that you could do this. And um, at such a young age that that stuck with you, that's why you were able to grab that spirit 24 and go try. And she's like, you know, a lot of guys get that opportunity too. But she's like, but the fact that you grew up in Hawaii and you don't know one other girl that was raised that way. She's like, and so now there's these girls that see you doing it. You've become their hero. You've become something that makes it look possible to them. And they want to try. You're not going to give them their own division. I was like, you're right. You're right. You're we not going to give them their own division. division. <laughs> yeah. And so, but but I do think that, that, you know, that's something you do to even the playing field for now because with the way that society is built up, it, you know, might not be equal. But what you're doing and what I see so many dads doing now, because now I see tons of dads in Hawaii taking their daughters diving. And I think maybe yeah. it took them seeing a woman that they respected being able to do it to just be like, oh, I want my daughter to do that too. But, um, but yeah, I just think, you know, ending it on parenthood, um, that's really important is is the way that that you talk about, you know, your daughters in the water and and what they can do and the role models you want for them. Um, that's something I think that is going to really empower them later in their life and then, you know, empower the future generations too. Oh, it's so. been the funnest part of having girls is like is like but it's not it's not on the forefront of my brain, but like uh, uh like two of my good friends, uh, a woman named Whitney Cummings just had a Netflix special and a woman named Nikki Glazer. Uh, they're both comedians. But uh, Nikki dealt with, um, has been very vocal about uh, dealing with eating disorder. That's not what she's, that's not her thing. But like, she talked about it on podcasts. Mm -hmm. And then to know that I got this like, this like, this like wealth of knowledge, this like real beacon of like, if that happens in our house, I can go to Nikki. And then, and I've had her here and she's talked to the girls. And then Whitney got, um, blackmailed online the other day about she had accidentally showed a picture of her nipple and these guys were trying to blackmail her and she then took charge and posted a picture that picture and said no one's getting my money and no one's getting my time go fuck yourself this is that picture they're trying to blackmail me for wow the girls found out about it came over and were like hey whitney's whitney had a pig for a while they're like whitney's the one with the pig right and i went yeah and they're like did you hear what happened to her and i was like and i 
I'd posted a picture of my testicles in support with Whitney of when I'd blown out one of my testicles, <laughs> and I was panicked, like, wait, what did you hear? What have you seen? Oh, my oh yeah. And so, uh, but um, but it's it's been the coolest part. And by the way, I, I didn't. That's amazing. I didn't, like, I mean, when you really think about this, I don't, I only know of, like, two or three male spearfisher people, but I only know of the whole thing because of you. I only know of it because of you. Like, right. like as as many badass dudes are out there that are probably doing it, I only found it because of you, and I've only been interested because of you. Because I, the when I saw your video, I just was like, God, this looks so pure. Mm-hmm. It looks like so primal, so so the thing that I'm like that I in my head I was like that I'm looking for in life, like a, a hobby that isn't that is that gets you into nature, gets you active, get and but is exciting and thrilling and something you uh, that's addictive. And um and I'm 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 just very grateful that uh, if I'm grateful for anything I'm grateful that I'm in a position where I can reach out to someone like you and that we can do a podcast like this and that I can share everything you share with all these people so hopefully that and then like I said earlier if it's not spear fishing if it's something else yeah. people can go oh, I think I found my passion I think right. I want to exactly. find something I th- I don't want the coffee mug that says so this is it for the rest of my <laughs> <Exactly>. life. <laughs> I love it. Well, hopefully I come out to Hawaii. I really and I hope so. I mean, the passion in which you talk about it, I just feel like we need to make it happen. I got to make and it I happen. And I hope this podcast just makes all your followers and fans even hold you more accountable to living that dream. Uh, well, that will <laughs> definitely happen. Um, yeah, I'll, we'll switch numbers. And, yeah. um, and you know, I'm such a whore. I'll be like, I'll be like, oh, I'm bringing... Can your can your boyfriend shoot it so we can put it on of YouTube course. and we can put it on Instagram and I'm gonna bring a cameraman down too. He's a free dog. Like I'm 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 such that per I can't do anything without it encompassing work. One of my buddies, Ari Sphere, was like, I'll probably bring him with us too. And uh, it was like, hey, we should ride motorcycles uh, in Vietnam on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And I was like, dude, hell yeah, I'm in. I got a cameraman. He's like, no, 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 no. We should do it to do it. And I was like. Oh, I don't know what that means. I was like, I don't really have experiences unless they're videotaped these days. But, uh, well, hopefully, you know, hopefully we can make that happen. I yeah, would love to. Yeah, we have to. And congratulations. Thank you so much. I can't wait. Is Bertha's a great name. <laughs> for a girl? Yeah, for a girl. Bertha. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.